Takes from New Jersey. It's the SNL Nerds, the show where two comics from New Jersey nerd out about Saturday Night Live. I'm your co-host, Darren Patterson. And I'm your co-host, John Trumbull. How you doing, John? Uh, doing all right, Darren. How's it going for you? Not too bad, not too bad here in the lazy, hazy, crazy days of summer. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I'm doing super cool, super neat, because, folks, we got a guest on the show with us here uh, today. Yeah, we do. Right we here. have uh, a, a friend of ours, uh, another uh, comic, who's decided to join us to uh, talk about uh, the Suicide Squad movie. Please welcome Mr. John Minus. John Minus, a member of the Decepticomics, ladies and gentlemen. Jersey's own John Minus. Hey, John. Hello. <laughs> well, that was disturbing. <laughs> right at the gate. All like I'm trying to keep everything light and up and you just you just bring it down to the, the gutter. This is my radio voice. That's I mean it's it sounds somewhere in between like sultry and uh, terrifying. Yeah. That's my aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. That's my demographic. <laughs> People who are aroused and afraid. Those are those are the women I try to attract. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh well, I mean, speaking of aroused and afraid, you're you're in, you're in the right place because we're gonna talk about a um, new movie that just came out this weekend, The Suicide Squad. Yeah, and since um, this has literally just came out, it just opened on Friday the 6th, uh, we're going to keep it uh, sort of general discussion at first and then get into spoiler territory a little later on. So even if you haven't seen the movie yet, you can at least listen to the beginning before we uh, start spoiling stuff. But uh, the spoilers start pretty early in the movie, I think that's yeah. safe to say. Yeah, I mean, we're going to try to keep it spoiler-free for the first few minutes, but... I don't, it's it's, it's kind of hard not to talk about it without getting into spoilers, but we're gonna we're gonna try just to yeah, you know just yeah. to make it make it because uh, we want everybody to be a part of this podcast, all inclusion. And, and of course, uh, because the the SNL connection with this movie is that uh, Pete Davidson stars in it as one of the characters, uh, a blackguard. Um, so, John, why don't you tell us uh, what's your SNL origin story? How did you start watching the show? Are you a big fan of the show? I. I am a big um, SNL fan. I haven't watched it like I used to, but I'm not one of those, oh, it was better in the 90s people. Like, I, I despise mm-hmm. those people. But um, <laughs> ever since uh, Cartoon Network started Toonami on Saturday nights, like, I'm kind of more into anime than SNL, so I've been watching that. But I still watch sketches and stuff. Um mm-hmm. I still think people are good. I still think there's classics. I mean, um, Black Jeopardy is a more recent sketch that was brilliant. Yeah, uh, with Tom Hanks. Uh, there's one. There's one I like, and you know, honestly, with there was the Tina Fey Amy Poehler episode in the last few years, mm-hmm. and it was. I can't remember the premise, but it was men and the women they cheat they cheated with. Meet your second wife. Yes, meet your second wife. Yes, and yeah, the one lady came out. And I remember that one because the one person was a graduate of Rutgers, so obviously I remember that. But uh, <laughs> he was pregnant, and they were, and the guy was like, "Oh well, you know this this at least is an adult woman," and they were like, "She's pregnant with your second wife." I was like, "Oh." 
Yeah. <laughs> so it's not that- like the- it's not like there hasn't been good stuff in the pre- in the last few years. Yeah, that that's a, that was an instant classic as far as I'm concerned. That was that's, yeah. I mean, like we've we've talked about it. That meet your second wife sketches for me. That is like five stars. Like everything about that sketch was was perfect. Not yeah, not even good. near perfect. It was a perfect sketch. Yeah, and it, it was had. Amazing. I mean, it had a real point of view to it, which is what I loved about it. But it was also funny as hell. Right and um. I and like when I was little, you know, I, I used to watch uh back when Chevy Chase and Jane Curtin were doing weekend update and mm-hmm. he's a Jane you ignorant slut. Like I'll still say that sometimes. <laughs> like I'm a big Jane Curtin fan. Like and I know there's not a lot, but I thought she was amazing. I watched all of thirty rock third rock from the sun. Mm-hmm. Um I thought she was great. Yeah, she's an underrated talent. Yeah, I think like with Jane is, I think it's one of the things where, because she was on the same cast as people like, uh, you know, Gilda and Belushi, people who had more, like, you know, and Ackroyd too, even Ackroyd, I would say. They have more of a, I guess maybe like more of a flashier personality. You can say that they stand out a little bit more in their performances and in just who they are. Whereas Jane Carton, she was like, a, she's a solid performer. She can deliver the last, but she was like a little bit more, Kind of, res- she wasn't as like a crazy party person as the other cast members were. She was like, even she said, "Yeah, I just like did my job. I didn't even hang out that much with the guys. I just kind of went home to my husband, and that was it." She was, you know, but but yeah, she is one of those people who does go under the radar just because they're not as maybe showy and as flashy as the other cast members. I I, I would maybe kind of put her in the same category as like a Nora Dunn, where like she was another great performer, but she didn't, she wasn't as you know, people kind of, she kind of fell to the wayside towards the more bigger personalities. Yeah. 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 But I, but like, yeah, there, there's been people all along the years that I really liked. Um, so yeah, I, I'm a, I'm an SNL fan. And I don't get into arguments about it. Like I don't get into like, SNL versus Mad TV arguments because I don't think there's any ever any winner and it just goes in circles. Yeah, yeah. That, that I mean, if people get too intense about it, then it's it's no longer fun. If it's a friendly debate, I I don't mind doing that sort of thing. But I and, it, and there I, is a debate there. There is a debate there. Mad TV had had its moments too. I mean, you could go Mad TV uh, in Living Color and SNL. Like there's a debate to be had, but yeah, if people are gonna get stupid about it, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Like I think when you think about like all the other sketch comedy shows that have tried to sort of go against SNL, try to go toe to toe with them, I think like Mad TV is probably the closest one that comes to like maybe not you know like uh, taking over SNL, but it, it, it's the one that like gave SNL the most run for their money, I'd say. I mean, they had Key and Peele before anybody knew who they were. It had a bunch of other cast members who went on to bigger and better things. Uh, you know, people that maybe people forgot about, like uh, Deborah Wilson and Nicole Sullivan. And um, uh, I'm forgetting her name, the who does the voice of Lois on uh, Family Guy, uh, who's on... Alex Bornstein. Uh, yeah, thank you, Alex Bornstein. Like, they, ha- they had, like, a solid... Cast Will Sasso, who's like Will Sasso, super underrated, but uh, yeah, like I would say, Matt TV came, they came pretty close to like really 
giving us another run for their money, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I honestly just didn't watch too much of Mad TV, so there's still like large chunks of it. I'm not too familiar with it. Yeah. Oh, and uh, uh, Phil Lamar, the great Phil Lamar, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, when, yeah, uh, went on to is a great voice actor now, done amazing things in uh, in the DC universe. Aha! As we bring it back to the movie, The Suicide Squad. That we're talking about today. How about that? The suicide Squad. Suicide. Want to try that again? Take two. Suicide Squad. The suicide Squad. I was. I just had a drink of something, and then my mouth got all mumbly. It's one forty-two in the afternoon. Right. Yeah. What's the point? I'm just, you know, noting it for the record. Who you, my mom? <laughs> I see her everywhere. <laughs> no, I'm your sponsor. Um, so, I mean, uh, were, were either now, Darren? I know you haven't read uh, much in the way of the the comics. I'm assuming you saw the first Suicide Squad movie. John, have you read? I know you're a bit of a comic book guy. Have you read the Suicide Squad comics? I I don't read DC, and I want that to sound exactly how it sounds, but. <laughs> but Every everything I know about DC, I know from the cartoons. I okay. actually have um, one of my friends who is like John likes comic books. Got me a DC encyclopedia because they just know comic books and they didn't know that I only read Marvel. But mm-hmm. it's actually it's actually come in handy. Um, but yeah, no, I'm a I'm a Marvel guy, but I've watched. Every DC animation I could, I could, I have access to. Um, none of these people are in any of the animation. So yeah, they uh, James Gunn he he chose some particularly obscure characters from the DC uh, pantheon. And, yeah, and that's what they movie. that's what they do for these movies, right? That's for the Suicide Squad. Yes, in particular. I mean, it's. It's kind of a brilliant premise where it's it's basically like the the dirty dozen with supervillains, where it's you got this, all these supervillains who are in prison and the government takes them and they're like, hey, we're gonna take you and we're gonna ru- have you run these black ops missions. And in the movie, they say, you know, if you successfully uh, complete the mission, if you survive, we'll knock ten years off your sentence. And it's. It's a cool thing because, I mean, it, it explains, you know, one, how these villains keep getting out of prison so quickly, uh, which which is cool. And it also helps build them up as credible threats on their own. So they're not just like always oh, these people who are defeated by the heroes. So it's and it, it gives the villains a lot more development, too. So it's it's very cool. And uh, it's something that uh, the writer John Ostrander came up with uh, back in the 1980s. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's a great, it's a great concept. Uh, but yeah, I remember watching the. Fr- uh, I mean, like you said, like I'm not a huge comic book guy. I'm more into the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I did see the first Suicide Squad, the 2016 version of the day, David Ayer's version, I was kind of coming in uh, fresh. Like all I knew was I knew Harley Quinn and right. the Joker. Now it's pretty much it. So I, when I went in to see it, I was like, oh, this is uh, these are a bunch of interesting uh, folks. Um, yeah, like most people, I wasn't too wild about that movie. Um, 
I mean, I mean, I mean, we could talk about all day about like what the was first wrong movie with it. has its problems. I think it's fair to say, and even even the director, the writer and director David Ayer, he he said like the movie that as it was released, that's not my movie uh, because apparently there was a lot of studio interference with it, and I think you can tell that just by watching the movie. I mean, the, the first movie I remember it introduced most of the main characters twice in the first twenty minutes, and it's just like okay, well. No one's really steering the ship here, you know? Yeah, no, I, that was the thing that, that really tripped me up the first time I saw it, where, like you said, like they spent a good, almost too much time introducing the characters. Like, hey, here's so-and-so. He's got a crazy backstory. Hey, look at this guy. She's got a crazy backstory. And it's like, it's like, can we just start with the mission already? Like this, yeah. this needs to be chopped down some, man. And that was, that was something that I liked about uh, this movie. Uh, I mean, this movie... It's sort of a semi-sequel, semi-reboot. You know, like uh, James Gunn, the writer-director, he's just said, like, it is what it is. Um, he, he's used some of the characters from the first movie, played by the same actors, but he really just dives right in, and I really appreciated that. He's, it hits the ground running. Um, yeah, the first the first movie, it, it, it had its problems. There was some good stuff in it, though. So I'm glad that they gave it another shot. It used to be that if you tried to adapt a comic book into a movie or a tv show and you did a bad job with it that was it for the, like the next 20 years and now you can uh you can you get another turn at bat much more quickly now right yes john what do you think i um i noticed that both movies were driven by uh little black girls <laughs> <laughs> yeah like girl yeah, uh, like uh dead shots wait he it was Deadshot, right? Deadshot in the first movie, who is Will Smith's character. He, yeah. He has a daughter that he's, and we, like we find out early on that he's doing all his crimes. Well, for it was the, the most ridiculous. Was it even for her? I thought he was mad because Batman beat him up in front of her while he I was doing so, crimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but and, I, mean, I think the reason he was doing all his crimes was just to take care of his daughter to make sure she was financially secure. I can't remember what happened to the kid's mom. That's that's my problem with both with both of these movies is and they keep trying to do like they obviously wanted the first suicide um squad to be Guardians of the Galaxy. And this yes. one they were like, "Well, why don't we just get the guy who did Guardians of the Galaxy?" And that really yeah. took me <laughs> That really took me out of it because the whole time I thought I was just watching Guardians, like Suicide of the Galaxy. Like it, it wasn't different enough. But yeah, like the first one, like Deadshot was was motivated by his little black daughter, and in this one, Bloodsport was motivated by his little black daughter. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, <laughs> mm, I could see that, but yeah, I guess so. But I think they did enough to. I mean, I guess we're. I guess we're kind of getting to spoiler territory, but maybe not really. But I think they yeah. did enough to differentiate Bloodsport from Deadshot. Because, like, I think that was a concern a lot of people had, where there's like, oh, it's just a black guy with a gun that can shoot real good. They're the same right. people. Uh, like, I think no, I with didn't Bloodsport... Think he was, I didn't think he was Deadshot. I thought he was Slade. Even his what? armor kind of looked like Slade. He, he did look a little like uh, Deathstroke the Terminator. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. But but Bloodshot is his own character. He was introduced in uh, in like the mid-80s after John Byrne revamped Superman. He, uh, like, 
when John Byrne was taking over Superman, he was saying like, oh, Superman has to be a little more dirty Harry and a little less Mary Worth. And the mainstream media that was covering it kind of twisted that into uh, Rambo instead of Dirty Harry, because that was more current reference at the time. Uh, and John Byrne got a little uh, PO'd about that. So he decided to create a Rambo type villain for Superman to beat up. And uh, and in the comics, he Bloodsport does actually shoot Superman with a kryptonite bullet. Uh, that happens in Superman 4 from like 1987, if I remember correctly. Oh, wow. Nice. So. Yeah, and, yeah uh, but I I think that uh, Idris Elba's character of Bloodsport, he did start out as a rewrite or a reuse of uh, Deadshot from the first movie, Will Smith's character. Uh, but they decided to keep uh, Will Smith couldn't do the movie because of scheduling issues, and they decided to uh, give Idris Elba a new character to play and keep Deadshot open for Will Smith to possibly return to. And you know, if they make a sequel to this movie, which I'm assuming they they probably will. I, I can't imagine that Will Smith wouldn't want to return at some point. Yeah, why not? Uh, and yet, actually, uh, John, to your point about this being a lot like Guardians, I, I don't know. I don't know if I totally agree with that. Just because, like, uh, I didn't. I was. I was watching this movie, kind of expecting it to be like Guardians, and I think what I got was something a lot more darker, a lot more bloodier, a lot more mm-hmm. disturbing, and just straight up more weirder. Than what I thought it was like. It, like, um, I mean, we'll talk about it in a bit. But like, there were like some scenes where, I, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm, I, I mean, I, there were like some scenes where I was, I was like, kind of uneasy and squeamish about. It. I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, you know, it's clutching my pearls. I was like, the oh. movie definitely earns its R rating. I would say it gets pretty gory. It gets pretty dark. Uh, yeah, like I, I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, like, if you're expecting the James Gunn from Guardians. Um, fame, you're not going to get that. You're going to get the old James Gunn, the James Gunn uh, who who worked on trauma films, and the James mm-hmm. Gunn that did uh, Slither. Which I mean, yeah. I, I never saw Slither, but uh, I, hear, I hear it's pretty, it's pretty uh, gnarly. Like you're going to get like that James Gunn in this film. So like that's, I mean, I and th- yeah, that's that that that's kind of something that's kind of popped in my head when I saw this film. I was like, oh, this is what. This is the real James Gunn I'm watching here as they watch. Yeah. It probably it probably felt good for him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, I mean, he said he said that uh, he had uh, the best time doing this film than anything he's done. And he's getting like I think the best reviews of his career. I mean, people seem to be responding to it really positively. And I, I think this film really worked. I I honestly just loved it because I th- and I think it's a nice testament that just you get good movies by hiring talented people who know what they're doing and then you get out of their way. And apparently this movie did not change that much. They didn't even do any rewrites or reshoots on it, which on a blockbuster of this level, that's really unusual. That's, that's almost unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think it shows, I mean, this is a movie that knows what it is. It knows what it wants to do. And it just, it does it. And it's like balls to the wall. And I, I really love that. Oh boy. All right. Uh, yeah. So, should we get into it, like spoilers and all? Or I guess so. It's yeah. This is really is a tough movie to discuss without getting into spoiler territory, uh, because the spoilers start really early on. Like, I mean, five minutes into the movie. So, I think yeah. From here on out, I think we're gonna have to say spoiler territory. But I, bottom line for me, I loved it. I highly recommend it. Go run out and see it. And uh, after you see it, listen to this podcast. 
Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, and I, I also like this film, but it was like I'll admit there was some parts where I was like, "Oh Jesus!" Like I, you know, I was like, oh, "Yeah, well, somebody please think of the children." Like I, I, I got, <laughs> I got my, I got a little, uh, like a little uneasy, but it was, but I did like it. I can't deny that this was a solidly made film. Yeah, John, how did how did you like it overall? Before we get I, into I didn't think it was that gory, but that's because I've watched Invincible this year. Uh huh. Mm. And so I'm really desensitized. See, I watched I've watched Invincible and The Boys, and I thought this film was like gorier than both of them. Or- I think it's a different sort of thing, like animated gore versus live action type gore because you know live action gore is it's much more visceral because it's just more realistic looking animated gore is just by definition kind of stylized so you can you have a little more distance from it i think yeah i don't yeah i was very i was very cynical about this movie um i thought that everything i thought would happen happened and that Mm -hmm. was kind of annoying um and like I just couldn't get a, like I kept thinking, oh, so this is what an R-rated Guardians would be like. And Guardians mm-hmm. isn't unviolent. It's not a peaceful movie. There was a like ten minute scene of uh, Rondo Londo like murdering, yeah. like there's dead bodies falling from the sky. It's really not. Mm-hmm. It's pretty violent too, just without the blood. Yondu, you're talking about Yondu, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Michael Rucker's character. Uh, speaking so of which, just, yeah, I know, I know, but <laughs> it just didn't feel that different to me. Uh-huh. And I know it's the same director, so it shouldn't feel that different. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It was okay. Like, it was All definitely right. the best movie they did, but it kind of disappointed me that they had. It was kind of like when somebody sucks in school and they finally do well, but it's because they copied off somebody else's paper. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> okay. 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 So you're, th- you're thinking like DC is copying off of Marvel's paper. Well, like those who can't do steal from the guy who can do. Well, I mean, I think it it's was not that they stole him. Or, it's not that they yeah, stole for, him, but yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean he's a he's a free agent, and I think it was a really personally. I think it was a really sharp move for DC to get uh, James Gunn when they did. You know, he had the whole stupid brouhaha a few years ago about uh, you know some some people like who were out to get him. Like they unearthed some of his old tweets, which you know he'd already apologized for in the past, and so he was he was fired from Guardians Three for a little bit, and fortunately he got his job back with Marvel, but that created a gap in his schedule that allowed him to do this movie. And um, Yeah. It was actually it was one hundred percent the smart move. I just would have rather yeah. they found their own talent. Yeah, um, I see what you're saying. Right. And actually John uh, and actually Trumbull to what you're saying, there was a bit of a nod to that whole brouhaha that James Gunn had with a Twitter in this in this movie. But we'll 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 get what there. what was that? What was that? All right, well, I'll, I'll all right. I'll mention it now. So at one point, you see uh, Rick Flag wearing that yellow T-shirt. Yes, which was supposed to be a nod to uh, the yellow T-shirts he wore in the comics. But on his shirt, yeah. there was like this drawing of a cartoon rabbit holding up a sign in Spanish, uh-huh. and like the sign in Spanish says, 
uh, obstacles are opportunities. And that's oh neat. Okay. And people are thinking that's a nod to what happened. And it's also a, car, a drawing of a rabbit, which people think, oh, that's kind of like Bugs Bunny, who's like the representative of Warner Brothers, which is putting out the Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. So is that like people think that's like a subtle nod to that whole uh, dust up he got into over his tweets? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that certainly sounds possible. Yeah. Uh, obstacles are opportunities. I like that. That's that's a nice philosophy to have. Absolutely. Very, a very positive philosophy um so okay well let's let's get into the movie i mean the movie opens up with uh michael rooker's character and he's in savant savant yeah he's he's just uh in solitary confinement he's just bouncing a ball around the walls of his of his cell and we see him kill a canary just right off the bat somebody dies (laughs) yes yeah is is he is he a Batman villain? Like was was that like uh was that like uh a, a, a reference to like Black Canary or something? Um oh. I think he was in the Birds of Prey book, if I remember correctly. Honestly, Savant is like a lot of the characters in this movie are on the obscure side, so some of them I'm not too familiar with, and Savant is one of them. Um uh, yeah, I'm looking up now. Yeah, he was uh like a member of the Birds of Prey and Suicide Squad. He's like a really obscure, uh, you know, comic book uh, mm-hmm. guy. Yeah, yeah. Every, every, almost everybody in this is. But, um, but yeah, like I was like, oh, it's it's uh, Bullseye. Yeah. That's pretty like much that, how, yeah. That's how they introduce Bullseye in... Um, that's how they introduce the Bullseye movie? in a Daredevil movie, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, I mean, I didn't he, give them, he doesn't kill the kid. I'm ahead. sorry, I didn't give the movie too much um, flack for for characters being like Marvel characters because that's what DC and Marvel do all the time. So oh, yeah, it, I mean, yeah. So there's, there's like, I know that was a movie. Yeah, they copied yeah. each other's characters all the time. Like, I actually had to Google Thinker, and I because I couldn't. I can't remember if Thinker was Google. I mean, was um, the leader. No, the Thinker, uh, the character goes back in one form or the other to the Golden Age, to like the 1940s. So he goes way back um, before there was even a Marvel Comics. But, I mean, you know, a super smart bad guy, that's not the most uh, original idea in the world. And it's not like he can copyright uh, a concept like that. So, um but yeah, so we see Savant and he's he kills the canary uh, with the rubber ball he's tossing around. But he kill he's so good he kills it with like a ricochet shot. Right, and he bounces it off a few walls and it and it hits the canary. So right, right away you're like, oh shit, this guy's good. He's he's really deadly. And we see Amanda Waller, who is the head of the Suicide Squad Task Force X, come in and she comes in and explains the deal. She's like, hey, if you do this mission for me and you survive the mission, you get ten years off your sentence. Uh, yeah, Amanda Wall played by Viola Davis again, mm-hmm. reprising the role. Yeah. And um, yeah, best casting and some of the best casting. It's definitely the best casting in DC. I mean, I I think she was really good. I mean, personally, I would have wanted someone a little more heavy set than Viola Davis, but Viola Davis is she's just doing a phenomenal job in the part. I mean, she's she's pretty great. It's tough to object to her casting at all. Yeah, yeah, she's I, good. I remember um, 
uh, Mike Lawrence, uh, just another comic we know, he had posted about yeah. the first one, I wish I had seen the movie she thought she was in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought that about this one, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that's uh, we, we like Mike Lawrence. He's, we've had him on the show. Yeah. He was on uh, discussing uh, uh, Beverly Hills Ninja with us a few weeks back. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so she 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 grabs Savant, and, and Savant is like our our point of view character at this point. She's kind of leading him through the prison, and we see some of the other characters that are being uh, recruited for this mission. Uh, I don't I don't have like the order written down. Uh, of, I got it. Uh, who we got? Okay, who uh, who do we have next, Darren? All right. Well, uh, well, we'll go back a little bit. We see that, um, like you said, like uh, Amanda Wall explaining her the mission. And saying, if you don't complete the mission, I'll, uh, I'll, if you run away from the mission or don't complete it, I'll blow up the little uh, chip that's implanted in the back of your neck. Because she mm-hmm. implants a little bomb in the back of everybody's neck to, to control them. And then we get a nice little cameo from Mr. John Ostrander, the uh, yes. the writer of the Suicide Squad. Yeah, John Ostrander is the guy who came up with the concept of the Suicide Squad back in the 80s. There was already... They already DC had already had a team by that name, but John Ostrander is the guy who came up with like, well, this should be a, a team of supervillains going on these suicide missions, and uh, so it's really nice to see him a get a cameo. He even had a line in the movie because he's got an, an acting background too, and and I was also really impressed. Uh, James Gunn was on uh, the Jimmy Kimmel show with Margot Robbie and uh, John Cena, who are both in this movie as well, and he. He gave John Ostrander a shout out there too. So I, I really like that James Gunn is uh, making a point of making sure that John Ostrander's name gets out there too. It's That's a classy move. Right. All right. So then after the chip is implanted, he's introduced to Rick Flagg, um, mm-hmm. played by uh, Joel Kinnaman, I believe, who is another, yeah. who's also reprising his role from the original Suicide Squad. Yeah. And he introduces them to his other team members, the uh, Task Force X. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get Mongal. Who's a uh, daughter to a who's like a daughter to a Superman villain Mongol, I believe in yeah. the comics. Uh, Black Guard, played by Mister Pete Davidson. I've heard of him. You've heard, he's he's a name. He's he's a name. Uh, we get Javelin. Yeah. We get a uh, weasel played by Flula Borg. Flula Borg. He, he was in the second Pitch Perfect movie, and he's popped up on Conan O'Brien's show a lot, and he is he is hilarious. Okay, I kind of knew him. I think I heard he was like a YouTube comedian or something like that. Like he does have a YouTube channel, but like go on YouTube and just Google Flulaborg Conan, and you'll find a lot of funny stuff there. All right, if, if it gets the if he gets the if he gets the Trumbull thumbs up, then it's good enough for me. Trumbull thumbs up, nice. Uh, we get Weasel, uh, played mm-hmm. in by uh, mocap by uh, by Sean Gunn, James Gunn's brother, who's in, who appears in pretty much all of his movies. Right. Um, I, I know Weasel because like Weasel was an old Firestorm villain. And I love that they partially based Weasel's appearance in this movie on Bill the Cat from the Bloom County comics. <laughs> I, that is spectacular. Yeah, I, you know what? He looked a little familiar and now I see. I totally see it. Yeah. Dude, yeah. I'm, I'm a diehard fan of Bloom County. So anytime anybody gives Bloom County some props, I am I am all for it. Yeah, that uh, is when I heard that I was just like, "Oh, that is brilliant!" Um, <laughs> and and I love I love that James Gunn always gives his brother 
a part. It's no, it's it's always like a thankless kind of part. He also did like uh, the mocap for Rocket in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, and he was one of Yondu's men as well. But yeah, I, I love that he always has a part for his brother in there. Uh, yeah, actually, in this movie, he has two parts. He has he plays Weasel, and he gets a quick cameo uh, a little bit later on in the movie as Calendar Man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was a, cool to see. Yeah, like uh, there's a part where he's berating uh, Polka Dot Man, and you see him with his bald head and the months tattooed around his head, and mm-hmm. he's standing next to uh, Double Down, who's a who's a villain from uh, the Flash. Wow, I I don't think I know Double Down. So uh, I mean, yeah, oh, it's he goes obscure. Mr. He Gun. does. I mean, if he's if he's stumping me on this stuff, and I've been reading <laughs> the late 70s. <laughs> like, James Gunn is obviously, like, comb through who's who in the DC encyclopedia find some of these characters. I know Calendar Man, but I didn't I didn't um, put that together. I guess I didn't, yeah. like, see his forehead. But, I yeah, I heard a Calendar Man. Yeah, yeah. He's, Calendar a, he's in Harley Calendar. Quinn. He's in the Harley Quinn he's cartoon. In, he's in the Harley Quinn show. He was he's probably best known in comics for being in the uh, Long Halloween uh, uh, series. Which yeah, is a, a year long mystery where where Batman's trying to solve these holiday themed crimes. So of course, Calendar Man, Calendar Man is a natural for that. Absolutely. Uh, so also in the task force, uh, we got Jai Courtney reprising his role as Captain Boomerang. Mm-hmm. We got uh, Nathan Fillion as TDK. Yeah, and uh, we got to get, of course, once again, Harley Quinn, uh, Margot Robbie. Who, um, I mean, Trump. I mean, uh, minus you mentioned, if there's any other better casting than Viola Davis as Amanda Waller, I'd say Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn is right up there. Yeah, yeah, Margot Robbie is just freaking killing it as as Harley Quinn. I think because she can do the physical stuff. What's that, John? I think because she can do the physical stuff. Um, she really like nails the like former gymnast stuff. I mean, of course there's, you know, stunt women involved too, but I think she's still, you know, she can still like realistically pull off her part of the gymnast stuff. And, um, Mm -hmm. and that's the, you know, that helps. She, she like really like puts that accent in there. Um, I mean, she's she's got the voice down. She's got the the humor down. She she looks the part absolutely. And yeah. and I really like the look that they gave Harley Quinn in this movie too. She's she's got like they're going back to the red and black costume motif uh, that she had. They got rid of uh, they got rid of one of the tattoos that she had in the first Suicide Squad movie. I, I think. It didn't say damaged. It said it said something else. I forget what it was, but apparently neither Gunn nor uh, Margot Robbie liked it, so they just got rid of it. Yeah, she still has the daddy's little monster one. Yeah, yeah. She she had um, the back of her jacket. They were going back and forth among uh, three uh, possibilities for the back of her jacket. Um, it, one said, live fast, die clown. And that was yeah, the one they ultimately went with. But the other options were clown AF. <laughs> so like clown as fuck. And uh, this one I think is my favorite. World's best grandpa. <laughs> I, <laughs> I kind of wish they went with world's best grandpa. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. I'm with you. They should have gone with that. It just because it makes yeah. no sense. So that's, I mean, that's my, that's probably my biggest criticism of the film. Is that they didn't go with world's best criticism. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I 
man, I, I'm loving what Margot Robbie's doing as as Harley Quinn. Yeah, she's yeah. she's terrific. She's great. Birds of All Prey right. wasn't bad. Birds of Prey was, was pretty good too. The thing I like yeah, about I, Birds of Prey is that they they don't forget that she's a psychologist. Uh huh. Yeah. Like she uses she uses her psychology in the movie too, and I like. <laughs> I don't know that. Well, you know, me working in mental health, I just really appreciated that. But it's uh-huh. also like, you know, people forget that, you know, she's not a dumb blonde. She's a doctor. <laughs> yeah, that can be an easy trap to fall into uh, with her. Uh, but I, I really liked how she was written in this movie. I think James Gunn has a flair for writing insane people. And I liked I liked that Harley Quinn had she had an ins- she had insane logic that she was operating by throughout the movie, and you know we'll we'll get into that as we go. Yeah, I mean James Gunn, like he's even said that he like when he put together like to try and decide who to choose for this, he he wanted to go with the more obscure and unknown villains mm-hmm. um, that he you know so because he, he wanted to keep it more faithful to the comic book. I believe he's according to IMDb. He said, I wanted to stick with John Ostrander's original version, original vision of mostly second rate antagonists. There's an innate tragic element to supervillains who aren't even that good at being bad. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's also cool because it's like, you're, you're building up these characters that people didn't see that many possibilities in. And it, it really just shows that it, it is all about, the writing and that you can make anybody interesting if you just put a little thought into them and put a little effort into them. Right. Yeah. So, which, so that, which makes is that pretty whole... much everybody that we, we have for the mission? Uh, yeah. Th- those are all the people in the mission. So, okay. uh, but, uh, minus, you want to say something? Yeah. That makes the whole, uh, it's hard to write stories for Superman argument completely ridiculous. Oh Yeah. It's like people are writing people are writing good stories for for Poke Dot Man, but you can't think of anything original for Super. Like that's the most ridiculous yeah. argument in the world. I mean, I, you can say like, I mean, it's tough to come up with new stuff for Superman just because he's been around for so long. I think that's more of a valid argument. But if it's just like, oh, he's too powerful or he's not interesting, I'm just like, well, you're just not trying. You know, yeah. Just expand expand your brain a little bit. I mean. There's, there's all sorts of stuff, yeah. cool stuff you can do with Superman. I mean, there's there's cool stuff you can do with most any character. You just, it's just some characters are tougher nuts to crack than others. But, Agreed. Uh, yeah, but we get we we got all these guys. We got a nice iconic shot of all the characters in front of the American flag. Yeah, like Patton driving towards the camera. Uh, yeah, like Patton, and yeah. um, so they get all they all get on the all they all get on the plane. We see the um, Amanda Waller's people. Her aides are all taking bets on who's going to die. Yeah, and uh, then they get taken off to uh, Corto Maltese, which is a fictional island in South America, which has actually been referenced in other DC uh, comic books, like Batman comic books. And then I also found that it was also referenced in the um, first Tim Burton Batman movie. Yeah, yeah, they say that uh, Vicky Vale, the photographer, she's she's taking war photos in in Corto Maltese. It's also mentioned in uh, The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller. Yes. Uh, so they get to the beach. Um, the, they, uh, they're told by Amanda Wald, we'll, I'll give you more orders once you get there. Um, mm-hmm. they all drop out of the airplane into the water to sort of swim to the beach. Uh, Weasel, uh, jumps out of the plane and into the water immediately. And immediately starts drowning. Immediately. 
I loved that. And they're just like, did then, did nobody find out if Weasel could swim? And everyone's just sort of looking sheepishly at each other. It's really funny. It's dark humor, but it's really, really funny. Yeah, uh, yeah so Savant goes and... I assume what? all animals can swim. I don't uh, I mean, I think we have a little artistic license, uh, you know, because he's like, you know, he's a he's a weasel creature thing. So yeah, you know, maybe maybe it's the man part of him that can't swim. I don't know. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Savant goes and saves him, pulls him out the water. He's dead. He yeah. didn't even didn't even reach the beach. Automatically, yeah. immediately dead. Finn. <laughs> yeah. And he's uh, Savant like pulls him to shore, right? Right, and he says, he yeah. takes a pulse and says, the weasel's dead. And uh, yeah. Amanda Wall says, all right, you guys got to continue the mission. Uh, they go, continue the mission. Uh, they see the army. And then uh, immediately Pete Davidson, uh, black guard, comes out and says, hey, guys, I'm the one that called you. They're right here. They're right here. Yeah. And yeah. Then, so then they find out that they've been uh, set up and they've been sold out by black guard. Uh, the lights go on. The army comes out, guns blazing. Uh, Blackguard immediately shot in the face, dead. Yep. So uh, yeah, that, that's again Pete Davidson's part in this movie. He's in it for less than ten minutes. That's right. Face gets blown clean off. Yeah, I I knew I'd kind of figured out that Pete Davidson that he he wasn't going to be a character that lasted too long just because we weren't seeing a whole lot of footage of him in the previews and stuff. So I was like, okay, well, you know, he's. Kind of an obscure character. He's not in the trailers too much. Yeah, he's probably not long for this world. But yeah, how, how many episodes of SNL did he miss at the beginning of the season <laughs> because of this movie? Yeah, like, at least three, right? At least three. Yeah, <laughs> and like, yeah. Mm. And I'm like, I, I, after I saw this, I was just like, really, James Gunn? How did you? How did he not finish inside of a week? I feel like you need you needed Pete Davidson for this. You need it had to be him. For this, but, but it's hilarious. I kind of love it. It is. I, I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't fold it too much. It did give me a chuckle. Yeah. Uh, and then from then on, it's pretty much a, a bloodbath. Uh, we yeah. see uh, Javelin gets shot up. He's dead. Uh, yeah. Manga, Manga. Yeah, javelin is like he passes his his javelin to Harley Quinn, and he's like, you know, please use my javelin for. And then he dies. And then Harley Quinn's like, use it for what? Use it for what? Yeah, that was a good beat because it looked like she was gonna like touch his face, and yeah. he, she just touches it, and but she slaps it, trying to wake him back up. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and they, and they have like a mild flirtation on the on the transport, so they they have a bit of a relationship beforehand. But yeah, yeah, I mean that was great. Uh, uh, Mongal goes up and tries to bring down a helicopter just by jumping up in the air and pulling it down, and she uh-huh. does, and she ends up killing a bunch of the soldiers, but the but the helicopter crashes, and she burns alive with it, and the crash also takes out uh, Captain Boomerang. So we got one of the original Suicide Squad members dead. I was uh, I was annoyed by that. Yeah, Captain Boomerang is one of the more prominent characters in the comic book version, and and he's he's a cool character because John Ostrander just made him into this utterly unrepentant bastard and he was he was like you know this sort of gimmicky slightly silly flash villain from the 60s and john ostrander was just like yeah every 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 bad trait a person can have that's captain boomerang and 
and, See, and I you knew, just kind of I love knew. the character because he was just so awful. He's been he's been in um he's been in the cartoons. I think he's been in the Flash too in like yeah, the show. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I was a little annoyed by that, and I was thinking like, and this is this is where my nerdiness comes in. Like, I was like, if Mongol is the son of Mongol, then she must be from Apocalypse, and she shouldn't have died so easy. But um, I don't think like, that's from just Apocalypse, me. unless they've given him some backstory I'm not aware of. But uh, but oh, yeah, I mean, no, Mongol is it? Oh no, Mongol's not from Apocalypse. He's the guy from War World. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's similar to Darkseid, but he's not the the same guy. Yeah, right. So uh, but if, all this- in Justice okay. League, he beat the living hell out of Wonder Woman, and that's not it. Mm-hmm. And that's not easy. But yeah, that was yeah. that was my nerd side. Like, oh, she shouldn't have died that easy. But that was just yeah. me. I, did, I, I don't really. I mean, in retrospect, I don't really mind that they kill off Captain Boomerang, but it it really did surprise me. I thought he was a character that was going to be around for for longer. So, I mean, coming as a fan of the comics, I was like, oh wow, they're they're really going in a different direction here. That's that's interesting. Yeah, and uh, so all this carnage is happening. Uh, Rick Flagg tells the TDK kid to get into visit, get into position. We see why they call him the TDK kid because he can detach his arm, the detachable kid. And yeah. um, there's, this, I like this scene because like there's this big swelling music playing the, 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 that you think that he's going to do something amazing, but he he's just going to do something really cool. Yeah, but he just like detaches his arms and like slowly sends his arms towards the uh, the army at like a like and a. He just like punches a few of the soldiers with these floating arms. Yeah, he just like slaps them around a bit. Yeah, <laughs> like that's it. Yeah, and and this is based on a character from the comics who who's kind of who is kind of a joke character to begin with, uh, called Arm Fall Off Boy, which was who was an applicant to the Legion of Superheroes, and they. A recurring thing they'd have in Legion of Superhero stories. These were it was a super group of teenagers in the future, in the 30th century, and they would have periodically in their stories they would have applicants for the team, and they'd be rejected for one reason or another because the Legion's like very clicky, um, <laughs> and and so usually these characters would display their powers and they weren't too impressive. And in one in one story in the 80s, they had. This character, arm fall off boy, who literally just had the power of his arms detaching from his body, and then he would beat people with those arms. Sounds like somebody so, at DC had a deadline and had to come up with a character. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, there's a whole story behind that, and I'm not going to get into that. But but yeah, that's Nathan Fillion's character. Yeah. Um, that's just hilarious. And and James Gunn has said, you know, like, yeah, he Nathan was doing a TV show, so he obviously didn't have too much time to uh, contribute. So we just gave him that part. But nice. that's, that's he's, also, he's also done voice work for DC. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, James Gunn has also worked with him before. He was in Slither, and he had a voice in Guardians, too. I think he was one of the inmates in the prison that they were in. Yeah, and he, he made a cameo appearance on uh, some movie posters as Simon Williams' Wonder Man on oh. the uh, in the Guardians movies, I think. Oh, nice. Okay, so, uh, yeah, so Savant sees all this carnage and bloodshed going on. He sees that, uh, you know, he sees a soldier that's shooting at TDK kid's arms, and he, yeah. uh, as a TDK kid rise in pain, he sees, like, pretty much the entire team is dead. He freaks yeah. out, and he makes a run for it. And, of course, Amanda Wallace sees this and tells him, hey, turn back, turn back. You know, don't, don't, 
desert the team. He he doesn't hear. He freaks out and he says like, you know, I'm warning you, Savant. One more word, and I'm I'm pressing the button. Of course, yeah. he keeps going, and blammo, Amanda Waller presses the button. His head blows up. That's the yep. start. Of the, that's the start of the movie. And, and we see a canary come in and like just start pulling it like some of the his entrails. Yikes! Yeah, <laughs> that's the start of the movie. This is like the first five ten minutes of the movie. Is most every character is killed off. Yeah, and then we also learn. That while most of the, uh, the, the that team is killed off, we learn that Amanda Waller actually sent another team, Team Two, to the other yeah. side of the island to to uh, infiltrate it. That's where we see Bloodsport, King Shark, Ratcatcher Two, Polka Dot Man, and Peacemaker. So the first team, the one we've been following, was just a decoy, so right. to to uh, lure out the army, so the other team could sneak in from behind and like do what they had to do. I'm surprised. Right. I was surprised that they sent Flag with the decoy group because he's very important to her. Like he's one of her best soldiers. Like why yeah. would we send yes. him on a to like get to get killed? Like that part didn't I make don't know, sense. Maybe she was just counting on him to survive or something. I mean, the big thing about Amanda Waller, she's she's like a chess master, you know. So she yeah. she does everything for a reason, and she's like thinking at least three steps ahead of everybody. So I think yeah, the most counting on flag to make it. Yeah. I think the most important part of all that was it showed that her team isn't like, she's a monster and she's, but her team isn't like, there were a lot of shots of her team, like giving doubt, like having looks of doubt on their faces as she was like telling them to carry out their orders. Right. So I think that was a good that that was like the most important part because it would be important later, but um I think that's why in the Batman's in uh in Justice League she always works alone because she's a she's a monster like it's hard to find people who are like <laughs> who like can can work on that level with you know and that are also monsters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so. Now we have the the team two on the beach. Then we cut to three days earlier, where we see we introduced to a Bloodsport played by Idris Elba, uh, who is uh, Robert Dubois, aka Bloodsport. You see him cleaning the prison, and and uh, he we find out he's in prison for putting a Superman in the ICU with a kryptonite bullet, which is also from right. the comics. Mm-hmm. Um, Waller wants him to join the Suicide Squad. He doesn't want to do it. She says, "Okay, we'll see." And uh, then we cut to a scene that uh, Bloodsport has with his daughter, um, mm-hmm. played by Storm Reed, and she's visiting him in prison. We see that they have a very uh, a strange relationship, we'll say. Very antagonistic. Yeah, her, his daughter's gotten into some trouble with the law, and it's, yeah, basically Amanda Waller's like, if you join the Suicide Squad, Bloodsport, I'll make this go away. If not, she's going up the river and being tried as an adult. And yeah, right. so he's <laughs> he's basically screwed. Yeah, I do like this about um, Bloodsport. Like throughout the whole movie, I've noticed he's he's doing things sort of begrudgingly, like yeah. like that. The whole thing where he's like, "All right, I'll do the Suicide Squad thing just because I have to." Like he he he's kind of like the uh, re- you know reluctant begrudging hero in a way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah, we we do also learn that the relationship between him and his daughter is very strange. He's he's very open by saying like. 
you know, you shouldn't be here. You should stay as far away from me as possible. I don't have any good in me. I really didn't even want you. Your mom just sprung you up on me with the paternity test. Saying a lot of horrible things you really shouldn't say to a kid. Yeah. Like, we, at one point, he doesn't even remember what year she was born. So that's that's bad. Right. Um, I think you had something to say. Yeah. I think um, we're glossing over a really cool, important part of the movie, which was the transitions. The oh, scene, the title. The scene transitions were amazing. Yeah. And, like, I actually missed a couple of them because I didn't realize it was happening. But it was very much like chapters of the movie. Um, like, like you were watching, a, uh, like you were reading a story or reading a comic book with the, with the, um, chapter names and the scene transitions. Yeah. 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 The, the title cards. Yeah. That, that is something that they do a lot in this movie that I kind of dug where, uh, where I, it says three days earlier, but it's kind of written in soap on the toilet and then mm-hmm. he just kind of wipes it out. That that's, that's like a theme that goes on throughout the movie. It's really. Right. And like uh, the title of the movie, I, it came out of like somebody's blood and entrails and yeah it's all sorts of background elements being spelled out uh in there it's, it's very much like the sort of thing that will eisner used to do in the spirit comic strip where you have the the spirit title just popping up out of background elements and it, yeah it's it's really cool yeah yeah so um so uh bloodsport begrudgingly joins the suicide squad team just to keep her daughter out of prison because amanda waller pretty much you know, threatened her. It's like, oh, well, she went to jail for stealing a watch and she's 16 in the state of Louisiana. You know, something could happen where she could be tried as an adult and something could happen where she could end up in this prison and maybe she might mm-hmm. die. I don't know. Things happen. Yeah. I don't like that. So, uh, you know, he's he's in a bit of a pickle. So he joins the team. That's when we're introduced to the other team members. First one we meet, uh, Christopher Smith, a.k.a. Peacemaker, played by John Cena. John Cena, I mean, oh my god, he is he is just terrific in this movie. Yeah, uh, I actually read, uh, according to IMDb, that um, James Gunn actually wanted David Batista to do it originally. But Yeah, yeah, I read that too, but uh, Batista, uh, he turned it down because he was in uh, Army of the Dead, uh, yeah. uh, Zack Snyder's movie. Uh, right. So, but, I mean... He went to another wrestler. Yeah, but John Cena is just doing a terrific job, and it's it's hard to believe that the role wasn't written for him. It just seems so tailor made for him. Yeah. And he's James Gunn is actually doing a, a spinoff show for HBO Max with uh, the Peacemaker. It's going to be an eight episode show. I don't know when that's coming up, but uh, I'm the, looking forward to it. That'll be out in uh, January. It's actually teased at the end of this movie. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. You know um, what's funny about uh oh what's funny I, I you guys aren't wrestling guys but at some point they get um peacemaker into jorts which uh-huh. is which was John which is part of John Cena's uniform like the entire time he's been in WWE Uh-huh <laughs> like that's his thing the jean shorts and at one point he's oh. running I'm like they got him into jorts like he actually looks like John <laughs> Cena for a second <laughs> That like John cool. Cena, the wrestler, um, but yeah, he he's not a bad he's not a bad the 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 thing about wrestlers is that as actors is that you put them into something close to what they do, mm-hmm. close to their character, and like they can nail it. Like that's it was he was like dark John Cena basically in that uh-huh. <laughs> in that in that movie. And um, because he thought he was a hero, but he was awful. (laughs) 
but yeah. he's he's awful. Like John Cena's described the character uh, Peacemaker as a douchebag Captain America. I mean, he's just so over the top. He thinks he's Captain America, but he is he is so not. Yeah. He's more like U.S. agent. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he says like you know I. I love peace and I don't care how many men, women and children I have to kill to get it. And, and that's that, that weird credo is yeah. pretty much from the comics. There was yeah. the peacemaker was a character from uh, Charlton comics in the, in the sixties. And the, the tagline was he loves peace so much. He's, he wants, he was willing to fight for it. Yeah. And <laughs> as the years have gone on, he's just gotten, the characters gotten nuttier and nuttier. Yeah, that that sounds like a joke, but we later learn on it. We later learn that is, that is not a joke. He really means yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and so we see uh, Peacemaker and Bloodsport get into a little bit of a pissing match, like one-upmanship, just right off the rip, talking about smaller built bullets. About I can yeah. kill a person with a smaller bullet that can go through another bullet and hit yeah, the target. Yeah, like Waller says, like, "Oh, I've picked everyone on this team for their unique abilities," and Bloodsport and Peacemaker are, are immediately like, "Well, we both do the same thing. What the yeah. hell?" Completely yeah. <laughs> redundant. Yeah, they, Completely yeah. redundant. <laughs> so, because they're both they're both badass guys with guns. They're both pretty much normal people with guns. Yeah. It would have been um, it would have been funny to have uh, Deathstroke on that team, and all of them yeah, like, "Come yeah. on, what?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but it's fun. I mean, they're they're both just such different types of characters that they don't feel redundant. Um, yeah, but they, they they certainly have some fun with that, and they have right. a, a nice uh, competitive relationship. Right, and uh, we're also introduced to uh, King Shark, aka Nanawe, mm-hmm. who is uh, he's a bit of a you know voiced by uh, Sly Stallone. Uh, right. He's a slow motion capped by uh, Steve Agee, and uh, yeah, he's like this. Like, like it says, it's a, he's a giant shark who's super strong and super deadly, but, you know, not, not the brightest uh, bulb in the shed. No, I, I loved King Shark. And uh, Steve Agee uh, has another part in the movie as well. He also plays uh, John Economos, who is the warden of the, uh, the prison that the Suicide Squad is from, uh, Bel Ray, Louisiana. Yeah, Bel Reve. Yeah, like Steve Agee is another guy who works with... Um, uh, uh, James Gunn quite a bit because he was also in The Guardians as one of the uh, re- not Reavers uh, one of uh, Yondu's team yeah I think those he were was, the Reavers, Reavers. He, was this, he was the second in command guy oh okay no because I thought Reavers was from Firefly but like I guess it's from here too yeah I think so okay uh, so now that then so now they walk their way to the uh, the women's side of the prison. Uh, we see a quick cameo from um, a Superboy villain kaleidoscope, and yeah. Um, then we're then we're introduced to uh, Cleo Cazzo, aka Ratcatcher Two, who mm-hmm. um, who I've noticed throughout this whole movie, she's always like kind of sleeping or or yes. being woken up. <laughs> yeah. Like, they, were like, they were like, does she have narcolepsy? Why is she always <laughs> like she's always being woken up or like she's she's like a heavy, heavy sleeper. I don't know if that's like a good thing. It's interesting. I, I saw someone who posted on Twitter who was like, you know, the fact that she's like half asleep through most of the movie is makes her the most relatable character <laughs> to me. So I, I really like that. That it's was like, cool. It's like she always just had a heavy meal of ribs and you know, yeah. fried chicken. <laughs> oh, I've got the itis. 
But yeah, uh, we learned Ratcatcher 2. Her big power is that um, she can control rats. She has the power yeah. to, you know, summon an army of, you know, like Wil- Wilfred or like Willard or whatever, who can summon uh-huh. an army of rats at, at her uh, leisure. Uh, and yeah. and uh, then we're introduced to uh, Abner Krill, played by David Dal- Dalmatian, who's a polka dot man. And I think uh, and Peacemaker jokingly says, what's his special power? He throws polka dots at people. Everybody waits a beat. And it's like, oh, he wait, does he really throw polka dots at people? <laughs> and yeah. Sure enough, he does. Uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> and, and the Polka Dot Man is actually an obscure, goofy Batman villain from like the 1950s. So, yeah, he's, he's from the comic books. Right. Uh, so then after the team gets together, we learn about what the mission is. Uh, we learn about, um, you know, Corto Maltese, which we've talked about, small island off of South America. It was been ruled by the Herrera family. For, for decades until a military coup came in and uh, took over the uh, the island, uh, headed up by General Silvio Luna and his uh, secondhand man, Mateo Suarez. And uh, they, they, just, they destroyed pretty much all, everything having to do with the Herrera family and executed the entire family in the public square. And we see an entire family, including children, hung up in the, in the square, which is, that was the first thing that was like, oh, shit. That's one of those things that made me like, be like, oh yeah. shit, this chick, chick just got real. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, we don't mess yeah. around with those coups. Nuh-uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Uh, so then, after that, we are, we, uh, Amanda Wallace tells them about uh, Jodenheim, which is this scientific experiment facility um, on Corto Maltese, you know, that's surrounded by the army. And uh, there's something in there called Project Starfish, and they want this. This was a moment where I would just, yeah. When they introduced Jotunheim, I was like, "Oh, yay!" <laughs> Jotunheim in in the first comic book storyline you know, with the Suicide Squad in the comics, they they break into a facility called Jotunheim, and it's a little different than what we see in the movie. But I was just like, "Oh, cool!" I didn't know I was going to see that, and so that that made my fanboy heart happy. Yay! Uh, I'm so happy, man. Uh, yeah, so Amanda Wall tells the team, yeah, there's a, something in there called Project Starfish. I want you to go in there and destroy everything having to do with Project Starfish. And, you know, mm-hmm. they, of course, they ask, well, how do we get in? Then they say, well, you're going to get in with this guy's help, uh, Gaius Greaves, a.k.a. The Thinker. He's in charge of Project Starfish. And then they show a picture, of course, of um, The Thinker, played by... Uh, I forget it. Peter Capaldi. Peter Capaldi. Peter Capaldi. Peter Capaldi. Who. Yes. That made me and, happy. Because <laughs> I, 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 I love him. I was, I was, the whole time I was imagining he was like some version of Doctor Who. <laughs> that, uh-huh. that, that, the Doctor Who that stayed uh, alone too long and went crazy. Because that's what happens when Doctor Who stays alone too long. So that, that, that made me a little happy imagining he was Doctor Who. <laughs> Oh, this is a dark version of Doctor Who, and he was he was screwing with an alien. So, oh, there, all right, there, there you go. The, it all connects. The dots connect. Um, but yeah, so they say the thinker he hanged out at this uh, gentleman's club. I want you to go there, you know, interrogate him or capture him and do whatever you got to do to get him to get you 
into Jotunheim and destroy everything having to do with Project Starfish. And that's their mission. Um, cut two, we see that uh, not everybody from Team One was murdered on um, Corto Maltese. We see Rick Flagg is still alive. We see Harley still alive. Harley gets, um, Harley, like you said, takes the javelin, gets captured by the uh, Maltesian army, and Rick get, gets captured by this uh, group of rebels that are in the, um, in the, uh, in the jungle. Uh, so then we cut yeah. to the, the, the team two camping out for the night, trying to get their way to the thinker of uh, where we see firsthand that like uh, Abner uh, polka dot man has these glowing sort of bumps and welts all over his face. And mm-hmm. like, um, then we see him sort of going off into the, into the jungle and have like something happening. And then he coming back normal. Which you know we'll get into yeah, a little he, bit later. He basically has to like expel these things, these these polka dots, uh, before they build up in his body, or, or they'll destroy him. So he has to do that twice a day. We find out, right? Like I don't know if expel means like vomit or poop or you know, maybe both. But yeah, he has to get them both. It sounded he like to... he was taking a pee. That's what was funny uh, to me. <laughs> I was uh, assuming it was like he was vomiting them up, but you know who knows. Yeah, just, he has to expel them from his body in some fashion. So it's got to purge. However, it. you want to imagine that as a viewer, I think that's up to you. Whatever you're into, that's that's what he did. Um, yeah. Then we see, like, as they're camping out, the, they start to bond a little bit. Like we see, um, King Shark was, tries to eat Cleo as she sleeps because she's always sleeping. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Then we see that uh, we we find out that Bloodsport has a fear of rats because <laughs> uh-huh. like I think once. Uh, once uh, once uh, Bloodsport sees that King Shark is trying to eat uh, Ratcatcher two, he like hits him with a gun, and she like you know calls six to rats on him, and Bloodsport gets uneasy about that because it's like oh god, oh, get these get these rats out of here. Um, we see Peacemakers in his tidy whiteies for some reason that they never explain. He just sleeps because, in his underwear, I guess. Just because it's hilarious D- to see John Cena in tidy whiteies, I think. I think it's because DC has finally figured out that male objectification is very important to to making these movies popular. I think Marvel figured it out really early on, and DC uh-huh. is just now catching on to, to male objectification really gets people in the seats. Fair enough. I guess so. You know, hey, you know, if we're gonna have the female objectification, uh, yeah, let's let's have some equal play, equality, <laughs> equal time for the male objectification. All right, show them abs. Uh, I mean, so they that, got Loki shirtless. They did. Yeah. They did. That's very true. Like, yeah, if you're in a Marvel movie, you gotta you gotta do some squat thrust or something. You, they, you gotta get in Marvel shape, baby. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Marvel yeah. shape is a thing. Marvel shape is its own category of in shape. Yeah. They made yeah. Kumail Nanjani yoked as hell. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my God. <laughs> I did not see that coming. <laughs> uh, all right. So um, so Waller finds out that uh, Rick Flagg is actually alive. He tells Bloodsport and the team to go to go get him. Um, they, 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 they find out Bloodsport and Rick Flagg have a history. They know each other. They served in special forces in Karak. Which is another uh, fictional town mentioned in the DC comics? Yeah, that, that's basically their DC's stand-in for Iraq, or you know, it's it's sort of their their catch-all terrorist nation, right? In DC, right. So, uh, 
Amanda Waller gives them the coordinates, tells them to terminate their captors with extreme prejudice, says they're dangerous, ruthless people. And uh, then we get one of the most insane, one of the most insane scenes in this film where Peacemaker and Bloodsport just kill off an entire camp of just innocent, unarmed people and this sort of one-upmanship type of rivalry. And it's... it's uh, it's something else. I did, I did not yeah. expect to see this. In the most heinous ways possible, it's, uh, yeah, it's something to see. Like, at one point, Peacemaker is, like, stabs a man who's just sleeping in bed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, Jesus. I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, at one point, Bloodsport sets a man on fire. Who's like, mm-hmm. no, 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 don't set me on fire. I was like, oh, God, this is, this is brutal. Yeah, and, and it's sort of a back and forth between Peacemaker and Bloodsport as you know, like who can who can kill them more or who can kill them more heinously and it's oh god, it's it's something to say, man. Yeah. I think at one point uh the two of them get into a, like a, a drawing match where like a Peacemaker kills a, a guy behind him without looking, and then mm-hmm. Bloodsport says, Hey man, no one likes to show off. And then Peacemaker <laughs> says, Unless what they're showing off is dope as fuck. I don't know why that made me laugh, but it did. Um, And then at one point, we actually see uh, Polka Dot Man kill some people, too, like that are up in a tower. And Polka Dot Man says, like, I don't like to kill people, but if I pretend they're my mom, it's easy. Yes. Yes. (laughs) The blood force like, whoa, TMI, man. Whoa, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. And that, I mean, that sounds like a joke at first, but then we go back and we realize it comes from a very real place, but we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Polka Dot Man's got a bit of a Norman Bates thing going on. Yeah, at one point, uh, Peacebreaker actually does call him Norman Bates. Yep, yep. (laughs) Which is hilarious. Um, So, sorry? No, I was like, uh, I like when, uh, I forgot who it is, says, uh, I thought you were the crazy one, and he's like, "I am." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it's yeah, true. There's, there's he is the, as crazy yeah, as Peacemaker is. <laughs> they're all crazy in their own way. I mean, there's there's a bit in the briefing scene early on in the movie where Ratcatcher says something like, "Oh, we're all gonna die," and Polka Dot Man just turns and goes, "I hope so." Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's just. Yeah, these these are not mentally healthy people. No, no. Uh, so so the then the team goes in after killing off the entire camp of people. They find Rick, uh, you know, having tea with the uh, the head of the uh, of the rebels, uh, Sol Soria, and yeah. then they find out. Oh no, we're this this is uh, the rebels. They helped me escape. Yeah. They helped me escape. They're actually here to take down the um, the general that's in power. They're the good guys. Everyone's, it's just very awkward because they literally just killed off everyone at the camp. And Rick Flagg's just sitting peacefully inside the tent and having tea. And he's like, wait, why didn't we know you were coming? Why didn't you let us know? Why weren't we alerted? And they're like, um, uh, oh, we don't know what happened. And it's, and it's such a weird shift in tone because we've just had all these like brutal, horrible kills. And then it clicks to this where it's like oh these were the good guys oh yeah yikes but it, but it works i think it works yeah beautifully. yeah i mean james gunn he can just nail those shifts in tone man right so um so i, so, wonder, so, I wonder if amanda knew yeah um hmm. you know possibly but didn't care <laughs> yeah. i mean she did tell them yeah she did tell them she did get them bad intel saying just go in there they're ruthless killers so maybe she did know 
But I don't know. It's it's interesting. So um, Solsoria, even though they killed off her whole <laughs> army of rebels, <laughs> uh, she still agrees to help them because Luna and Suarez murdered her family. So she said, "I will get you to the Thinker and uh, take them down." You know, ma- you know no matter what. Um, mm-hmm. Then we cut to uh, Greaves, aka the Thinker, gets taken to Luna. Uh, the general Luna finds out because Luna found the footage of Project Starfish. Uh, we see, um, you know, the little Starro being taken in by the astronauts, and um, we see them. We see them like kind of posing with it after they captured it, like with thumbs up. Right. Kind of Starro is literally an alien starfish. Yes. Oh yeah, we, I should have mentioned that Starro is an alien starfish. It's like a starfish with an eyeball, a huge eyeball in the middle of its eye, and uh, the. Right. In, in the middle we of a fucking kaiju up in this joint. Yeah, we do, we do. Uh, but the, the so the astronauts captured it, took it in for experiments, and then we see them posing with it, like giving thumbs up, like almost like Abu Grave type shit. Um, yeah. and, or, or like it's a fish they just caught, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then we see that the starfish was able to send out spores of itself and attach those those spores attached themselves to the faces of all the astronauts. And it become like a hive mind, and that's uh, Starro's big power, basically. Like he can, you know, shoot off spores of himself. The spores will attach themselves to a host, and then it becomes like a hive mind, and the original Starro becomes bigger throughout yep. time. So they were able to take that uh, Starro, bring it to Corto Matiz, and do experiments on it, and that's that's Project Starfish, basically. And so once Luna sees it, they're like, oh. I have yo. I have something that can. I could take over the world with this shit. Yes, yeah, son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he doesn't say that, but you know, close enough. But um, yeah. So then we cut to Harley being bought, being brought over to uh, the general, General Luna, sort of Avita style. Um, yes. <laughs> very, very much Avita style. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, Luna admits that he's been a big fan of Harley for years. Uh, yeah. Him and the people of Corto Matiz really love her. I guess, you know, word got around her rebellious spirit. They really see her as a hero and they see her as like an anti-American type of, uh, you know, figure, like type of idol. And um, she also says, yeah, the people, they want me, I, they, I'm a bachelor, but the people want me to get married. And I think you'd be, you'd be a dope wife, if, you know, because you're, you're anti-American like I am. And it would be a good uh, fuck you to America. So let's do this. <laughs> Yeah. And it was like you're hot. <laughs> like she didn't. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't hear any of that. <laughs> it's like, yo, you can get it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a really cool subplot for Harley. I, I like that. I, I like that we're giving Margot Robbie, you know, some time to shine, and I I thought it worked really well for Harley because. You know, she she has a history of getting involved with bad men. Yeah, well, we get to that too because after we get like a little nice little love montage, uh, she proposes, and you know, then the two of them knock boots. They yeah make the beast with two backs, and after that, we see that um, Luna looks over at the window to Jodenheim, and he talks to Harley about it. How like it used to be this uh, this structure where the Nazis would you know conduct these unorthodox experiments. And then the Herrera family kind of had them all killed and took it over. And, um, you know, the experiments of the beast in there helped keep the Herrera family in power in the island. So now that the Herrera family has gone, now I have this. Now I can 
have this monster do whatever I want. If, if anybody opposes me, I'll send their children and you know families to the beast, and no one will fuck with me. And once Harley hears that he he's willing to kill children to stay in power, uh, Harley shoots him in the chest. Yep. <laughs> And she's just like, hey, uh, you know, I've had some bad romantic history and I've I've learned certain uh, certain uh, red flags to look out for. And yeah, go, uh, killing children is, is one of my red flags. So, yeah, you're dead. Look at that growth. She's just growing as a person, Harley. Yeah. The and of course, she sees the guys like, oh, they used to kill women and children. So now I'll kill women and children, like in the same right. breath almost. Right. <laughs> But he's killing women. And, he's killing women and children for himself, so it's different, right? Yeah. yeah. But I, I love that. Yeah, it's like she's she's making a healthier choice, but it's the Harley psychopath version of making a healthier choice. And like, I'm going to kill this guy because he will ultimately be bad for me. Yeah, it's, we're getting there. It's 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 growth. We're getting there. And I, I also like the line where she said, uh, "R.I.P. to that beautiful monster in between your legs." Yeah. <laughs> poor, Harley, poor, Harley's poor, great. Little, poor little looker out for that beautiful monster. Yeah, Har- Harley, uh, Harley is great. She's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so of course you can't kill the, you know, the president of a country without people, uh, you know, being upset about it. So the army and all the soldiers take Harley prisoner. So now um, Luna's secondhand man Suarez is in charge, and he's. He plans on ha- ruling with a bit more of our iron fist. He tells the people to go out, search the country for other Americans because, you know, that he thinks Harley couldn't have been the only one here. So there must be other people out there. So can we cut back to the squad? Uh, they're walking through the, the jungles and uh, we learn about more about Polkdot Man and his backstory, um, you know, because he has the big glowing lumps. He tells the, everybody that, yeah, it's uh, I was actually injected with an interdimensional virus by my mother who was obsessed with creating a superhero. She worked at star labs, which has also been mentioned in numerous uh, DC comics and movies. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, my mom was obsessed with making me and my brothers and sisters into superheroes. I was pretty much the only one survived. And now I see her wherever I I look, I, I see her. She's everywhere. And then we cut to polka dot man's point of POV in a hilarious gag where he's looking at the the uh, the team and they all have his mother's face on them. Yeah, every, everyone on the team looks like a middle-aged woman and every and it's just a middle-aged woman dressed in everyone's costume. We see like she's in the peacemaker costume. She she's in Rick Flags outfit. She's in Blood Sports outfit. Uh it, it's really funny. Yeah, I thought it was I really loved that joke too. I thought it was hilarious because it, it cuz like Polka Dot Man's backstory is it's truly tragic. It's truly sad, mm-hmm. but they were able to find some humor in it too, which is like, so like when it cuts to that scene where you see the, the task force X all having his mom's face, it's like sad, but it's also, it's hilarious too. It's, it's yeah. Cause it, I mean, it's just such a funny visual. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that's uh, polka dot man's backstory. And uh, that's, it's also something else that will continue on seeing his mother throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he is yeah. the and he is the crazy one, having uh, psychotic having psychotic hallucinations that are always on, is pretty bad. Like he That's can't turn it, he can't turn it off. 
Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. speaking of psychotic hallucinations, I mean, Harley has some later on, but we'll get to we'll get to that. We'll get there. Yeah. Uh, so the team meets up with Milton, who's uh, who works with Solsoro, who's going to get them into uh, into town to meet up with the thinker. Um, he'll see he'll drive him into town. He gives them some clothes and disguises to to blend in with the locals and to the, um, the gentleman's club that the thinker always goes to. Of course, they say, hey, you know, uh, the the big shark guy has to stay in the van because I don't have any clothes that'll disguise him. <laughs> and, and King Shark has this hilarious bit. He's like, no, I'll disguise myself. I have a fake mustache. <laughs> and he, like, to demonstrate, he puts, like, one of his finger flipper things <laughs> up against his face. And they're like, no, you just look like King Shark with a finger in front of your face. Fuck! Yeah. Fake King mustache. Shark is is truly hilarious. I really love this character. Fake mustache. <laughs> you know, uh, you know why I couldn't enjoy King Shark that much? Because I am really, really invested in Ron Funch's King Shark. Ah. Uh, <laughs> who is different for you? Who is exactly the opposite. Like he's really smart and he and he's like kind of sensitive, but he will bite people's heads off. Like he he tries not to be sharky, but like he can't resist his urges sometimes. Like I don't I don't like the Harley Quinn show is really funny to me. So like seeing like it just is like an inferior version to me. And like he was great, but like Ron Funch's King Shark is awesome. Ron Funch is pretty dope. All right, so uh, so while they're getting ready to go into town to the gentlemen's club, uh, we see Rick telling Saul that hey, once we attack Jodenheim, all the soldiers and the army will be at Jodenheim. So that means the uh, the palace where the president is will be pretty unarmed. So maybe that would be a good time for you and your rebels to you know take over and attack the dictator. So that's they sort of put that plan into into motion. Um, mm-hmm. So then we see the task force is on the way to the club. Uh, the you know the, the team bonds a little bit more. We learn more about Ratcatcher's two backstory. We learn that you know her and her father, who is the original Ratcatcher, played by uh, Taika Waititi, in his mm-hmm. uh, second DC movie he's he's been in. And um, yeah, we no, this was the first. What's up? He's never done a DC movie before this. He's never no. You know what? I I'm looking at my notes. You're right. I apologize. I thought. Yep. Yeah, like he's never been in something like another movie like, you know, the Green Lantern or whatever. He's never been in that. I, I don't know what you're talking about. There's never been a Green Lantern movie. Fancy. Yep, that's right. I apologize. I've, yep. I've made a little mistake. Uh, so, yeah. Deadpool went back in time and uh, erased it. He did. He did. We're, I forget. We're on a different timeline now. You're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the multiverse. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, we learned that him, that... um. Cleo and her dad, there were two people homeless in Portugal, and um, her father taught him how to, you know, control rats, and they used to sleep in the streets with uh, covered in rats for warmth, which... Yeah. Oh. This... I, I got to think about rats, and yeah, this is... Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I mean, I don't know how you felt about that last scene, but, like, we'll we'll get there. Yeah. There's a whole lot of rat stuff in this movie, and yeah, I, I find rats very, very creepy. And I mean, the, the only way I could get to it is because I knew that most of the rats in the movie were CGI. Yeah, <laughs> it's not real. What's it's it? not real. What are you, Henry Jones Senior? 
Oh, damn. Uh, and in terms of that, yes, I I, <laughs> I agree with Henry Jones Sr. about that. Yeah, no, rats, they creep me the F out. I cannot understand how anyone can have those things as pets. But That's the first thing I, I, I thought about was when uh, – in when um indiana jones dad when he was like oh i wish i could have been there and he's like you never would have made it there were rats (laughs) (laughs) like indy indy has his snakes and his dad has rats yeah (laughs) we've all got our thing we all have our thing bravo mr myers for bringing in that indiana jones reference that's right nice pull uh but yeah so we learned that uh, her father taught her how to control rats, and we also learned her father had a horrible heroin addiction and yeah. died with a... As you do. As you do. And died with a needle in his arm, which is... God damn. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so she was... So from there, she just went to America, took his dad's technology, and um, robbed banks for money and was arrested, and that's how she got into prison, and that's where she is, why she is where she is now. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, then we also learn about blood sports phobia about rats. We learned it came from his father and how he was a bit of, you know, he was an abusive taskmaster. And if he didn't do things correctly, his blood sports father would lock, one day locked him into a crate filled with rats uh, for, for an entire day. So that's why he hates rats, which is, again, like it's a thing that starts off as a joke earlier in this movie, his fear of rats. But then you realize it comes from a really fucked up dark place. Yeah, which is that was interesting, and I also noticed there was just one thing where once uh, Bloodsport talked about his dad, they, they cut to John Cena, uh, Peacemaker, and he kind of gives like a knowing smirk, like like hmm. And as- yeah, appara- uh, James Gunn has talked about that moment in interviews, and apparently that is going to play into the Peacemaker TV series that's going to come up. Right, I, I, I thought there's that- a reason why Peacemaker identified with that. That's, I thought that too, because actually I, I I did a little research and I found out in that Peacemaker series, um, Peacemaker's dad is going to be on the show and is going to be played by Robert Patrick. So well, we're going to get into a little bit into his backstory too. Terminator oh, cool. Two, Terminator Two, Robert Patrick. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's okay. Timeline says. Okay, so we're at the club, uh, at the nightclub. We get a couple of cameos here. Uh, at one point, uh, Peacemaker bumps into a guy at the bar. That guy is Lloyd Kaufman from uh, from Troma, who was like, oh, cool, who's James Gunn's uh, mentor, and he, I think James Gunn put him in a few other. Of his films, like he's in Guardians too, as like one of the prisoners. And um, there's one scene where we, where there's uh, these dancers, these these women dancers mm-hmm. um, doing some synchronized dancing. And there's one woman in front with like a red dress and a red wig. And yeah, that's Palm Clementiev, who played Mantis in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I I noticed her in the movie, but I didn't recognize her as as Palm. Um, but and and James Gunn says that not many people have been noticing that it's her. But he's like, yeah, it's it's totally her. Yeah, and she's like one of those people, like because like she's made, she's all made up in the Guardians movie. You don't recognize her without the makeup. It's kind of like Car- right. uh, Karen Gillian, like you yeah, don't, you don't recognize uh, Nebula without the makeup. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know what she looks like though. Uh, another. Oh, yeah. Another Doctor Who thing. I see. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, because she was on Doctor Who for a while. Got it. Uh, so we see everybody sort of, you know, 
Thinker isn't there, so they're bonding a little bit more. They're having drinks, thinking that this might be the last time we all get to drink. And you know, they're yep. they're, they're they're not wrong. <laughs> so they get down to the club, do some dance moves. Uh, again, another hilarious scene where Abner uh, Polka Dot Man is dancing with some women. Yeah, we see his point of view. Club full of his mom, his mom just <laughs> dancing with all his moms, and is again just like wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and 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 also like the costume choices on the characters are just mm, hats off to the costume designers. Yeah, like uh, Polka Dot Man had like this silk shirt with stripes. Yeah, he's he's looking kind of discoy. Like yeah, like, he looks very seventies, very seventies. Yeah. yeah, like for a yeah. while I was thinking, could I pull that off? <laughs> I think I could. I mean, Peacemaker's in like this polo Izod shirt. Um, yeah, it's. Yeah, it's pretty hilarious, and and I love that uh, Rick Flag is in his uh, yellow t shirt for the majority of the movie because that was his look in the comics. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It was that was just cool to see. I mean, that's just a cool deep cut thing that they didn't have to do, but I love that they did. Yeah, like like uh, Bloodsports wearing like a beret with, a, with like yeah. a, a dark blue jacket and a like a like a sort of a under like a undershirt underneath it. Andrew Selva can really pull off a beret, man. Yeah, not a lot of people can. You can do it. Yeah. It's like him and good, he's got a good beret face. Yeah, it's like him and Curtis Sliwa. Those are the only two I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting a Curtis Sliwa reference on this podcast. No one expects a Curtis Sliwa reference on this podcast. Uh, it's Chief Weapon is surprise. Surprise and fear. <laughs> oh boy. Uh yeah, so the thinker finally appears at the clubs. The guys uh, spot him. There's also cut to a scene where the soldiers are outside looking for Americans. Uh, I think Milton tries to go in and warn them. Yeah. Uh, so basically what happens is at this blood port, blood sport walks up to the thinker, puts a gun in his back saying, Hey, you're going to, you're going to come with me. You know, don't, don't make a fuss. Don't make a, don't make a sound. Just follow me to the back. Uh, that's when the soldiers bust into the club looking for Americans and suddenly they're trapped. They can't get out. Um, so basically Bloodsport tells Abner and Cleo to take the thinker out back, take give you know, give him his gun. Right. While Peacemaker, Rick Flag, and I will make a distraction. Right. So, and does, they decide to anyone, surrender. And the thing the funny thing is, does anyone look more American than Flag and Peacemaker? <laughs> no, well, they, I mean they, they scream out. They scream American. They were like six inches taller than anybody else in the place. They're blindingly white in a country right. of brown people. <laughs> they both have standard American faces. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. it, it wasn't hard. It wasn't hard to find them. <laughs> it, yeah. it was not. They, they, uh, they stuck out like a sore thumb, we'll say. Yep. <laughs> um, so, super American. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so um, so Polka Dot Man and Ratcatcher Two take Thinker out back. Um, you know, he's busy talking, which is another something. Another funny line I thought that was hilarious, where uh, Ratcatcher tries tries to threaten him, saying, "Hey, be quiet. Do you want to, or else, like, do you want a dozen rats crawling up your ass?" And then Thinker waits to beat and is like, "Oh, my answer might not be what you expect." <laughs> that's why you never asked that question <laughs> you might not want the answer you don't know what people's kinks are no. yeah, don't rat shame 
Uh, yeah. So, of, I, like you said, minus it's it's obvious from the jump that you know Bloodsport, uh, Rick, and Peacemaker are the Americans. So they get arrested, taken in a Hummer, and um, they get they get driven off. Um, then we get we see them as they get, as they're on the road, and uh, they're able to make an escape because they're all able to sort of subdue the guys in the back of the Hummer. Uh, they're able to shoot the driver, which of course causes the Hummer to go off the off the road a little bit. And um, there's a big old car crash, big old car chase. They smash at the bottom of a hill in their in the Hummer, but they're able to get out, and then they're able to meet up with uh, Milton and the other guys in the uh, in the little van. And they're it's like, all right, well we got we got Thinker now. It's time to Operation uh, Jodenheim. And then Rick Flag's like, no, no, we got to save Harley first. So now it's Operation Harley. So now we're, mm-hmm. we cut to a scene of them uh, going off to rescue Harley Quinn. Cut to Harley Quinn being tortured with a cattle prod by her uh, captors. Um, what's, what else, everybody? Oh, yeah. So, um, Har- again, Harley is able to get her out of this situation kind of pretty much by herself because she's able to take out the um, torturer. Um, escape by uh, using her feet to unlock the key, to, using mm-hmm. her feet to unlock the lock that's above her head because she's uh, tied up gymnast. by her wrist. Gymnast, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think they, they did say that that was a nod to the gymnast thing she was doing in the first Suicide Squad. And I believe from what I've heard, she actually can do that and did that in this movie. Yeah, that that is a stunt that Margot Robbie did for real. Uh, James Gunn has made a point of saying that in interviews. Like, uh, you can't really see her face because, like the the um, the angle. goofy sleeve thing on her dress is kind of blocking her face. But he's like, "No, I didn't get the right coverage for it." But that is one hundred percent her doing that stunt. That that's so. why it's, that's why I said that's another reason she's perfect for it. She makes the she makes that the um, gymnast stuff look realistic. Yeah, but, uh, my thing about that was that like, oh, they're gonna torture Harley. I thought she was gonna say something about it, but she didn't. She's probably been through worse with the Joker. <laughs> yeah, that's just four. Yeah. yeah, I was just thinking like torturing Harley is probably the most fruitless thing you can do. <laughs> I mean, we see that in some of the flashbacks in the first Suicide Squad film, where he like the the Joker's literally like electrocuting her, and he of course dumps her into that vat of chemicals. Yeah, what he is. So. Yeah, I was just like, really torturing Harley isn't going to get you anywhere. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So again, don't kink shame. <laughs> yeah, you, if you like rats, if you like cattle prods, you like what you like, man. Hey, we're all, we're all. It's it's cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Harley frees herself, and then we get this insane, this this insane scene where she shoots her way out while uh. Just a Gigolo by Louis Prima plays in the background. Right. was a little disappointed. It wasn't uh, David Lee Roth's version, but I got over it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the Louis uh, Prima version fits the mood of the scene uh, better. Uh, still, the disappointment was there. Wow. Um, that's a reference because in, in – um, I know you say you haven't seen Birds of Prey. In Birds of Prey, uh-huh. she's a one-woman army. So they kind of established that Harley is a one woman army. (laughs) And um, yeah, I think she, and like with the colors and everything, I think that's is, that is how she sees the world. 
Yeah, because like when she's doing violence, I think right. they established that in um in in uh, Birds of Prey too. Mm-hmm. Right, because like there is one point in this very well choreographed fight scene where you know she's slitting throats, throwing dudes like into into uh into walls like just shooting up everybody at one point right. like there we do see like some animated flowers come up from behind her along with like animated birds and like that's what right. see how she sees the world like all this beautiful yeah. floral bloody violence mm-hmm. oh yeah and we and we should mention great. we should mention more the fight choreography is top notch by far the best in any dc movie at- yeah yeah, the fight choreography is amazing. Like, I don't know who I, I got to find out who these people are. Um, I know the guy who did uh, Kingsman just passed away recently. Um, the fight mm-hmm. choreography, but whoever does a fight choreography for for this movie, they sh- need to keep him because the fights in DC movies are awful. <laughs> 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 They're really bad. But this was art. Like, I always say, like, people, some people don't think fights are storytelling, but I, but fights are definitely storytelling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I hate it when it's like, it's a badly choreographed or more a badly shot fight in a movie. Uh, Like, it seems to be trendy for the last decade or so is like, they, they do all these quick cuts in a fight or they get they get really close up and i guess it's supposed to duplicate the disorienting feeling of being in a fight but in a screen fight you want to be able to follow the action and follow the back and forth of it i don't think it's fun to watch if you can't follow along and uh yeah they do a nice job with the fight choreography in this movie yeah absolutely uh yeah so yeah so harley pretty much takes out the entire squadron by herself she finds the javelin again picks it up Mm -hmm. takes it out and uh, hops into a cab, and <laughs> puts the javelin through the windows, and she's about to take off. But then she sees Rick and Bloodsport, and she's like, "Oh, I know those guys." And so, <laughs> and then she just like uh, it's like the scene that we've seen in the trailer, where she just pops up yeah. next to them. It's like, "Hey, what are you guys doing?" Yeah, they're they're about to start this elaborate rescue plan, and Bloodsport's starting to like rappel up a wall because they're going to go in through the third floor to find where she's being held prisoner in the basement, and and she just is like, "Hey, what are you guys doing?" And Red Flag's like, "Well, we were we were going to rescue you, and and it was a really good plan too." Yeah, <laughs> and and he's just kind of obviously a bit bummed because he doesn't get to do this really cool thing they had planned. It's like, oh man, and you, like, oh, you know what the difference is. Go back. You know what the difference is between this movie and Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel? Especially uh, in Captain that? Marvel, she would have said something like, Oh, I saved myself. They would have made it into some girl power moment, but you didn't uh-huh. need to because it was already a girl power moment. She already yeah. saved herself. You didn't need to say it. I feel like in Captain Marvel, they would have said it. And yeah, that, yeah. Like, uh, I haven't seen Captain Marvel since it was out in the theaters, but I, I do remember them kind of hitting you over the head with some of that stuff. Like, I remember at the end, like when they started playing uh, "Just a Girl" by No Doubt. Uh, I was like, okay, really? This is a little too on the nose. But yeah, yeah. That, but she already saved herself. You didn't need to bring attention to it. And then her saying, "Well, yeah. we could go back." Like that was great. Like it's those. Yeah. 
those things separate good movies from great movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, no, I agree with and, you there. I, yeah, and I just I, and I love that Harley has this weird childlike way of looking at the world, but she's also like a total psycho. I mean, yeah. it's a it's the the balance that makes her character so interesting and so appealing. Yeah, right. And in the absence of the baseball bat, the the spear was a perfect uh-huh. weapon for her. Perfect oh, yeah. weapon yeah. for her because again, it brings out that artistic, you know, ballerina side. But she's cutting people's throats. Yes, yep. yeah, she sure yeah. is. All right, so uh, so now Harley meets up with the team. Now the whole team is reunited again. Uh, they go to Jotunheim. Uh, they they talk to the thinker. They need him to get past the front gate. So I mean, I I, I love that. Like you know, Flag is trying to sincerely brief the thinker on what the deal with the suicide squad is and Harley's just sort of mirroring him, but she's doing these sort of trivial things. And at one point Harley just goes, I'm walking back and forth. <laughs> that was pretty, uh, yeah. that was one of my biggest laughs in the movie. I think that was good. That was good. I, I had to, I had to think he felt like dark helmet. Like I'm surrounded uh-huh. by assholes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Calm the desert. Yeah, you do. You do kind of feel for Flag because he's like the one sane, literally the one sane man in this group, and he's trying to keep the lid on all these insane people and keep them from going off in their own directions. Yeah, it's, yeah. he's like uh, he's like Kermit the Frog on the Muppet Show, trying to wrangle all the crazies around him. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so the plan is uh, have the Thinker drive all of them up to the front gate, get them past the front gate. Um, and uh, they'll need him for his retinal scan. Once he gets there, they'll take out all the um, the soldiers that are out front. Uh, then they break off into two teams. Once they get inside, the first team will go up to the Project Starfish. The second team will set up the explosives at the base of Jotunheim and blow the whole thing up. And that's that's the plan. Uh, so cut to them driving up to the gates of Jotunheim. We hear a little Pixies music, which I love because the Pixies are dope. And... Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, we see them killing off all these guards. This is uh, this is where it rains. This is the, the scene that they show in the trailer where uh, King Shark literally rips a man in half because right. um, I think from what I heard, like when he gets wet, he becomes stronger. I believe like, that makes sense. So yeah, so that's how that worked out. Yeah, so I'm gonna said that that uh, shot is his favorite shot in the movie. By the way, it's a pretty fantastic shot. It's, <laughs> it's a great shot. Yeah, the. Um... The part of it that is amazing is that it's a sun shower. Uh-huh. So the and if you've ever been in a sun shower, the sun illuminates the rain. So they're yeah. walking they're walking from out of the light. They're they're walking from out of the sunshiny part towards the enemies, and the enemies can't see them because of the reflection. So it looks like they're mm-hmm. walking out of the out of the sun. It's very cool. Ooh. Yeah. Symbolic, like the dude. cinematography, the you can't argue with James Gunn's cinematography. Like you just you can't. Well you can, but you would be wrong. Right. <laughs> 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 yeah, true, true. Uh yeah, so the team splits up. So it's a Cleo and Rick and a thinker go to the experiment where you know everything's happening upstairs, and then the rest of them set up the uh, set up the explosives. Uh, we see the the horrors 
of the experiment, uh, the dirty little secrets. And we see all these tons of people with Starro's um, spores attached to their faces. We see all mm-hmm. these people, you know, you know, with mutilated faces. Uh, we see what looks like a pregnant woman with a star on her face. And, like, we see one dude who doesn't have, like, a lower half at the start. It's pretty, like, it's pretty gruesome, this, this one. They, they've been up to some heinous shit there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this is where uh, Thinker tells them that, yeah, the U.S. not only knew about all this, but they, they funded this. This is, like, the U.S. Yeah. found Starro. And they've been funding these experiments. And they've been working with Herrera family to keep the entire thing you know, to keep this entire thing running and keep, they keep the Herrera, peop, the Herrera family in power and uh, right. they wanted to weaponize the beast. And But now because of a military coup, they're getting freaked out about it. So they had you guys to come in to destroy all evidence that they had something to do with this. So, uh, you know, as always, the, the big enemy is American government. I think that's what we're <laughs> trying to say here. Yep, they've been up to no good. Yeah, um... Once Rick learns about all this, he's horrified. He finds a drive that you know implicates the U.S.'s involvement with all this. He says, "I'm taking to the press. You know this. You know this shit ain't. I, this shit ain't right. I shouldn't be fighting for my a country that does horrible things like this." Right. And that's when we get Peacemaker uh, pulling the gun out on him, saying, "Hey, man, Waller gave me, you know, specific orders to make sure that gets destroyed and everything here gets destroyed in order to keep the peace. If that gets out." We're going to have a major, you know, international incident. And I'm the peacemaker. And as I've said before, I'll do whatever it takes to keep the peace. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also, something happens where the bombs go off early. So, like, they know they only have a few minutes before the whole thing comes tumbling down. Um, and, of course, with the bomb explosion that causes Starro's um, cage or, you know, glass, in case, glass bubble that he's in, to, it causes it to crack. To crack. And mm-hmm. Starro is, escapes, and he's able to get a hold of the Thinker and drag him into the um, into his 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 uh, his cage, I guess you could say. And yeah. um, he straight up kill he pulls the Thinker apart like I've never seen anything before, and slaps his body against a window and just he spatters against a window. Yeah, yeah, it is so gross. <laughs> this movie has very creative ways of killing characters off. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, Thinker is gone. Uh, so then Rick and Peacemaker, they fight it out over the, the drive. And uh, another, another cool scene. amazing, another amazing, amazing fight. That was, yeah, that was brutal. Like two people who like have the same set, like the same set of skills and the same fighting style. That was vicious. That was a vicious, right. vicious fight. And, and I mean, the movie, I mean, in most movies, like if you put somebody up against John Cena, you're just like, okay, well, John Cena slaughters that person and he wins. But they do a nice job of building up Rick Flagg over the course of the movie that you're just like, oh, wow, I don't know which way this fight is going to go. Yeah. And there's also a really great shot where we see them trading punches reflected in Peacemaker's helmet. His yeah, silver yeah. I love that shot. That was That was awesome, man. Yeah, because I was like, how did they get that shot without us seeing the camera? That's pretty cool. I mean, I guess they just took the camera out digitally somehow, or I, I don't know. But yeah, however so. they did it, it's it's amazing. Yeah, again, so. you, you can argue, but you'd be wrong. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, so the two of them are slugging it out. It, it's getting bloody. It's getting brutal. At one point, Rick is on top of Peacemaker, and it looks like he's about to choke him out, like choke him to death because they're both bleeding. Yeah. But then uh, Peacemaker is able to grab a, a shard of glass, and he's able to like shove it right into Rick's chest, and we see it go into his heart. And yeah. his heart bleeds out. It's, it's again pretty gruesome. And uh, yeah. then Rick's last words are, "Peacemaker, what a joke!" Dies. Yeah, that one. Um, I did not see that coming. That kind of. That kind of. I was me. not expecting them to actually kill off Flag. He was. He was one of the characters that I because he's you know he's like one of the center characters and he's he's like one of the main characters of the Suicide Squad franchise. So I. I yeah. love that they killed him off, though, because, I mean, it, it really ups the stakes and it shows that hardly anyone is safe in this movie. That annoyed me a lot because I liked him. And, yeah. and you know, my friend was like, oh, well, you know, anybody can come back in these movies. I'm like, they literally showed his heart stop. That's hard yeah. to break. Like, his, like it's going to be pretty hard to explain that one away. But then I thought of Kingsman where they shot What's-His-Face in the face and yeah. he came oh, Colin back. Firth? Uh, yeah, Colin, they shot Colin Firth in the face from 10 feet away and he came back. <laughs> it's but, just a scratch. Well, I mean, the, the Kingsman movies are more out there than... Yeah. Well, they're out there in a different sort of way. I mean, yeah. this... This like, was he's, out he's there. He's a normal human... In a comic book universe, so I yeah I don't see them bringing Rick Flag back, but he got a great death, which is yeah all you can ask. For yeah, that. no, it was it was a great fight. I was upset, but uh, yeah, it was it was it was, it was brutal. It was oof. yeah, he got uh, his hit. That's true, and it's weird because like this character you really didn't care about too much in the first Suicide Squad, but in this one, I'm no, like, he, I mean, he's very generic in that, but they did a nice job of building him up in this movie and uh yeah it, it was really cool i really i really like joe joel kinnaman in this movie and i thought he did a great job yeah absolutely all right so um so rick flag's dead then we see that cleo saw the whole thing um she's able to grab the the, the drive and make an escape uh but not until peacemaker catches up with her and you know again pulls the gun out on her and is about to shoot her and you know because you know he he is thorough, as he says in the movie, and, <laughs> and uh, but then it cuts to eight minutes earlier. We get another title card mm-hmm. saying that in in the clouds. Um, so we cut back to the other team and how they're done setting up all the explosives. We see a nice little scene where uh, King Shark finds this see this set this tank full of these little sea creatures, and he has yeah. like, this nice little like, kind of moment between him and the sea creatures, like oh new friends, new dumb friends. Which I thought was like a nice little sweet moment. Yep. Uh, yeah, and th- so then, so then the three of them are um, are also about to are leaving. They're going to this office. Um, what else? What's happened? Oh, so and as they're so as they're getting ready to leave, I think uh, what is that? the polka dot kid drops some charges. He says, "Oh, fiddles, fizzle sticks." I'm, hold on, hold on, guys. <laughs> um, and but then the soldiers come in and then they shoot up Milton. The guy that was with them the whole time, and yeah, why uh, was he there? Like I saw him go in with them. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, he just follows them in stupidly instead of just waiting. Because yeah, he's he's like really a normal guy. He doesn't have any sort of training or anything. He's just 
Ugh. He yeah. reminded he reminded me of the taxi driver from Deadpool. It's like, why are you? Yeah. No, no. I I love your heart. I love your gumption, but no. You yeah. don't do anything. Uh, but yeah, and we 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 talk about that in the movie because like after he gets shot, the other guys go hiding. We see Polka Dot Man saying, "Oh my God, they shot Milton. They killed him." Yeah, and then I think uh, Bloodsport's next words are. Oh, Milton was still with us? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then Harley's like, and then Harley's like, who's Milton? <laughs> like, yeah. He was with us the whole time. And I love this joke because this joke re- relies on the fact that I, I think like James Gunn knew that we, the audience, would not commit that character's name to memory. Like right. none of us knew who Milton was. So when Bloodsport and Harley were like, who's Milton? We're right there yeah. with them. Because, like, he, yeah. he's not important for us to remember. So, of course, it's like, I don't know. I thought that was a great little joke. Because, like, cause like James got new. Like, these guys aren't going to remember Milton. So I'll just make this joke yeah. about them not remembering Milton. Yeah. The thing yeah. is, Harley wasn't there the whole time. So he wasn't. She was telling the truth. She didn't. She He wasn't with them at the beginning. And then she was mm-hmm. gone. And then she comes back, and there's this other guy. Like, she literally didn't know who Milton was for good reason. She wasn't there for that. Yeah. Everybody's like, how do you know? She wasn't there. She wasn't lying for for. She wasn't being <laughs> crazy for once. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't I mean, just her insanity. She just generally was never introduced to the guy. Yeah, yeah. She, I mean, there was, yeah, but there was a scene where, like, as they were leaving, Milton did hold the door open for her as they both left. But, like, yeah. I guess she never got a name. Uh, well, you know, he didn't. He didn't have the uh, the magnificence between his legs that uh, that, <laughs> that beautiful monster. <laughs> yeah, you know why? Why would she remember the guy? Uh, yeah. So as Milton lies dead, we see more soldiers come up. Polka Dot Man's upset, so he f- flings off some of the his polka dots at them. But Harlow's like, mm. "Wait, no!" And because he dropped those charges, the polka dots set off the charges, which lets. It, you know, sets off the explosions and the bombs go off earlier than they were supposed to. That breaks yeah. the water tank that King Shark is at, and all the water goes flowing out. And uh, you know, so and King Shark and his little new sea friends go out with him. Uh, we we see his little sea friends have like sharp teeth. They begin to attack the Norway um, because the explosion takes out part of the Jotunheim. The, it, the, build, the whole structure starts to tilt and people start to fall out onto the ground. Uh, Nanawe mm-hmm. falls out to the ground to, to the uh, soldiers below. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's mayhem, just, re- just right off the rip. Yep. Uh, see what you else happens. What I, right, so, you know what I liked about new, 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 new God, I Nana- can't say Yeah. Nanawe. The, the, um, the stories of people who turn into sharks and sharks that turn into people that comes from the Polynesian islands. So it's, it's, so it's cool that somebody apparently Googled that and gave him a name that was reminiscent of, you know, that of a Polynesian culture. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. um, Yeah. That was good. Yeah, it's like from the from the from the Pacific Islands, basically, and from Polynesian culture, there are stories mm-hmm. of people, of men who turn into sharks, just like just like in um in native populations here, like you know people who there's stories of people who turn it sh- um skin changers and shapeshifters and stuff. They have that in the Polynesian islands too, of people who turn into sharks. 
So him having like a name reminiscent of that region, I thought was a, you know, it's a cool bit of diversity that they didn't have to nail with, put like hammer into your head. Yeah. yeah. Diversity matters. Like, yep. It matters, but it doesn't have to, you don't have to hit people over the head with it. It's better yeah. when it's just there. Yeah. Yeah. And you just, you can just absorb it. Yeah. I, I, I don't like it when they do hit you over the head with it. Like, Hey, look at how diverse we're being. Ooh, look at us. Oh, we got all types of colors here. Hey. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, like I said, it's pretty much pandemonium. Uh, King Shark falls to the ground. He gets shot at by the soldiers, but, you know, the bullets don't really hurt him that much. And he begins just eating and devouring all the soldiers. He, like, decapitates one of the captains and, and does this really crazy shot with the man's head in uh, Nanawe's mouth and his eyes are still moving. Which was, yeah, it kind of freaked me out. I was like, oh god. <laughs> yeah. There were there uh, were a lot of movie earns its murder rating. <laughs> there were a lot of Hulk analogs um, with with uh, King Shark, like when Flag tells him "nom nom." It's like when and uh, when um, Captain America tells Hulk to smash. Uh huh. Oh yeah. And, and when when they're when he's on the ground and they're all shooting him, it's like when a Hulk was on the ground and all the uh, oh god, the aliens the were shooting. The, when it when oh, all yeah. the aliens were shooting him, when he was on a roof of uh, he was on a roof of that one building. Yeah, there were a lot of Hulk analogs with King Shark and and the Hulk, but um, huh. he was really tough. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Mm-hmm. King Shark is a shark. Uh, yeah, so then the rest of the guys, they're, they're able to sort of jump over t- to, like, another platform as the building crumbles. Um, Bloodsport kind of falls through, like, three levels of floor <laughs> just because the building's crumbling and it's, everything's just falling apart. Yeah, and- we see him, like, land on a platform, then that platform collapses and the platform goes down another le- i mean that was really cool yeah I, I was watching one video they were comparing it to that scene in the the aristocats the disney movie aristocats when the cats are playing jazz music in a building and it just goes like as they're on a piano it goes down from floor to floor to floor as they go through the floors mm-hmm. yeah watch the aristocats guys to get that reference you'll, lo- you'll love it um okay. but that's yeah. the one with the really dirty joke right which one is it? That's the aristocrats, John. Yeah. Oh, 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 dear! It's a different thing. It's a different, <laughs> thing. totally different animal. So, uh, as a, oh god, as Bloodsport falls <laughs> to the floor, as he falls to the floor, he lands right in front of Peacemaker as he's about to shoot Ratcatcher two. Uh, he sees what's going. He, he sees. Oh, he has a gun on her, and then the two of them have like this, you know. This sort of a standoff. It's like Western style standoff. Uh, Both of them pull guns, shoot each other. We see that Bloodsport had a smaller bullet, which goes Mm -hmm. through and destroys Peacemaker's bullet, which is a nod to their small bullets talk in the beginning of the movie. And Bloodsport's bullet gets Peacemaker in the neck. And uh, Peacemaker bleeds out and he's dead on the ground. Yep. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, so that happened. I was really, then, I was really, really expecting him to shoot Ratcatcher, just because like that's the tone the movie sent. 
I expected him. Like, to, I expected him to shoot hit, shoot her while staring um, Bloodsport in the eyes. Yeah, I was very surprised he didn't. That's uh, just the tone James the movie. said that he was he was originally planning to kill off Ratcatcher, but he, at the end he just didn't have the heart to do it. Yeah, right. Because so. like I mean I've heard from a lot of people saying like Ratcatcher Two is basically the heart of this movie because like I mean as far as mm-hmm. bad people go, she's not really that bad a person. So like if you kill off like sort of one, I mean by the standards of this movie, by the standard of this movie, yeah, like she's not, yeah, you you know you we've, we've talked about the other people in this movie, but like by yeah. those people's standards, she's not a bad person. So if you kill the heart of the movie, then it kind of brings the whole movie down and like I, know, I guess I guess James Gunn wanted to give like a, a glimmer of hope or you know so, so a little bit of good feeling, so you don't so this yeah. movie isn't totally dark and depressing. I guess. Uh, yeah, so Cleo tells, I mean, after uh, Peacemaker gets shot, Cleo tells Bloodsport everything that happened. Saying, like, yeah, the U.S. was involved with all this. He was trying to kill me to cover it up. This is the, 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 the drive. Um, Bloodsport, you know, puts the drive away. And um, that's when uh, Starro escapes. And we see Starro in all his Starro glory. And, mm-hmm. I mean, my lord, this thing is... It's it's terrifying. Oh this God. thing is both terrifying and so weird at the same time. And it's great. I love. It. I mean, because Starro is uh, he goes back in the comics. He goes back to when they first introduced the Justice League of America. And the first story with the Justice League of America, Starro was who they fought. It was this alien starfish uh, thing that. So it kind of grew out of the monster movies of the fifties, um, and. I mean that's a that's a character I never would have expected to see in a live action movie, and I'm so happy that we have. Yeah, because like I mean, I mean, because it's a it's a villain, it's a monster that's like so weird, and you know, almost kind of silly a little bit, but also disturbing. Yeah, it's a starfish with an eyeball in the middle of it. It's like something I'm sure. I was just gonna say he's uh, he's Lovecraftian. Yeah, he's an, yeah. He's an eldritch horror. It's uh, yeah, it's yeah. very you know want to create a cult like a bunch of cultists to summon him from the depths of space and you know yeah, it's a Lovecraftian eldritch horror and it's good that there weren't a lot of metas in this movie because you know they were ju- they were just fighting regular people. The danger is when the, the Justice League try and fight him, and mm-hmm. then right. they all get. Starro's on him, and now he's got Wonder Woman on his side. So, yeah, um, right. Yeah, and no, I, I mean, was, uh, but yeah, I guess like people just haven't put him in movies uh, before, just because I guess people thought maybe you know the audience wouldn't take him seriously because it's a giant starfish with an eyeball. But I mean, in this yeah. movie, he fits perfectly. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's great. My opinion on that the audience won't take things seriously thing is an audience will take something seriously if the movie takes it seriously. Absolutely. If the movie Absolutely. if the movie says this is silly or I'm ashamed of this but we're putting it in then that's how the audience is going to feel. That's how it is with superhero costumes. Like when somebody wears a costume and everybody makes fun of them then the audience is going to think it's silly. Absolutely. I mean, Peacemaker, he's wearing a costume that's pretty much directly from the comics, but no one 
they hardly ever make fun of his costume. The, uh, the only comment I can think of is, is they they talk about, you know, oh, your helmet it looks like a toilet seat. And he goes, oh, it's not a toilet seat. It's a beacon of freedom. And that's the only thing. But they, ne- they never make fun of the costumes or any of the other comic book conventions in the movie. And, and I really love that. And I love that we're just, we're just going nuts. and we're really going there. Yeah. You know, it's not like the X-Men movies in the early two thousands where it's like, Oh, we have to put everybody in black leather because the, the comic book costumes would look too silly. It's like, no, just do it. Just, just present it as a part of this world. And the, the, you know, that's what they wear. It's like cowboys wear cowboy hats. Superheroes wear costumes. You know, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, but that's a co- good point too minus like if you just if you treat it seriously then the audience will treat it seriously like you know people treated right. the stave puff marshmallow man seriously and that's that thing's mm-hmm. ridiculous yeah. uh yeah so uh we see starro he's broken free he's you know he's ravaging cartel maltese uh first he of course sends out thousands of spores of himself to attach you know to attach his, the, the spores will attach themselves onto the people of Corto Maltese, and suddenly there's like a, a whole army of, you know, hive mind of uh, Staros yeah. around. Starro zombies, basically. Starro zombies, yeah. exactly. Uh, of course, you know, the, he has one of them saying, the city is mine. And um, mm-hmm. it's pretty uh, it's pretty terrifying, actually, if you look at it. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, and, and he's, he's even, like, taking over, like, the corpses of people who, who died. So... Yeah, they're really just going to be overwhelmed by sheer numbers, right? So like. yeah, so at this point, uh, we we find out that um, Waller and his, and her team lost a feed, so they lost him for a while. But now the feed is back up, so now they're seeing that oh, there's a giant starfish taking over this country. That's oh no. Um, but Waller tells them, "Hey, did you destroy everything in Jotunheim? Did you destroy all the evidence?" And they were like, right. uh, "Yeah, it's, it's destroyed." And they're like, "Okay, well, uh, you guys can come back home now. The starfish isn't our concern." anymore that's this lead right that's the corto maltesians problem yeah which is pretty cold Cold blooded man cold blooded and then it goes back to what i was saying before about how she was losing the team with her evil Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you can only if you have a team they they have to be as evil as you are and they were just regular ass people with with normal (laughs) <laughs> with normal morals <laughs> yeah and they and they're like all right she when he kept asking he's like were you really and she never answers he's like were you gonna do that to his daughter and she never answers like that was mm-hmm. really gnawing at the one guy and now she's like open the case and they're like and she's and they're like they're trying to save this country and she's like open the case and like it also, I also thought that like, oh, they just everybody in that office just responds to whichever black woman is yelling at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how the, the hierarchy works. Yeah, the that I th- <laughs> I told that to Frank, and he was like, "That's how most offices work." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That was just, I mean, they, those were just things I noticed, like, as a black person, like, the, that, like, sure. both, both stories were, were, mo, were, pa, mo, two characters were driven by, um, 
by uh, small teenage black girls, <laughs> and that and that when the uh, the whole office responded to whichever black woman was yelling at the time. Black girl magic. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, yeah. So at this point, Waller tells him, "All right, yeah, you can, you guys can come home. Your mission is done." Uh, right. You know, the Corto Maltese is no longer our concern. So, you know, let that star guy do whatever he wants to do. And yeah, um, just get out and, you know. Yeah. And as they're about to leave, uh, we see uh, Bloodsport again, reluctantly saying, Dit, fuck. And he goes back and tries to take out Starro. And then everybody else follows right. his lead. Again, yeah, he's, like one by one, they all follow and they decide to fight Starro and try and save as many people as they can. And Waller's like, Again, like when Savant tried to run in the beginning of the movie, she's like, you turn around now or I will hit the bombs in your heads. Right. And uh, yeah, and like we see Viola Davis like really fucking losing her shit. It's like, she's like, you motherfuckers, you she fucking turn lost back. It. She was just a string of profanity. <laughs> yeah. I, I know. I was like, good heavens. And uh, yeah, I, I clutched my pearls. Uh, yeah, so that was a full metal jacket level string of profanity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, just she just she's like laying into them, saying, "Turn back right the fuck now, or else I'm pushing these fucking buttons and blowing your fucking heads off, motherfuckers, cocksucker, fucker, fucker." And like she's just about to do it, and just before she hits the button, one of her uh, people knock her out with a golf club. Bam. Yep. Uh, I believe that person was a Flo Crawley, who's uh, also in the DC comics. Yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, I mean, she's uh, a member of the support staff in the comics, and I was really happy to see her character. That was cool. Right. So, like, as so they knock out Waller, and so and the rest of the team, you know, this, uh, decides to help out the uh, Task Force X take down the the Starro. And uh, yeah, then we get started in probably an amazing third act in this movie. I thought this third act was really good. Yeah, and it's I mean it's it's a really the action sequence is is something else. I mean I I don't think we have to go through it blow by blow, but I mean it's it is something it is something to see. Right? Yeah, uh, yeah. We see exact opposite of the end of Wonder Woman. Ooh, wait. Guys, the first one or Wonder Woman eighty four? The first one. I didn't even see the second one. But uh, yeah, the, yeah, end don't, the, don't first, the end of the first one was awful, and this was the opposite of that. It's tough to have like a really strong third act in a superhero movie, you know. It's, um, it's not. But in my opinion, it's in in my opinion, it's not. You have all of this to work with. Like, you can mm-hmm. do crazy visual stuff. You can... I don't know. It, it's... I don't know what it is about this movie that made me annoyed. I think it might have been because why aren't all of them like this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, something about this movie left me annoyed, and I'm still trying to figure out what it is. I can get I get it. It's like, you see this, and you're like... Wait, DC could have made good movies like this this whole time? Like, why is this the first time we're getting... I mean, there have been good DC movies. Like, you know, of course, the Nolan yeah. Batman, Shazam, I like. But, like, this... Ah, this movie was on, like, another level, I thought. Like, yeah, another level of good. 
And it's like to see it, we, we're just now getting to this level of good in our DC movies that, you know, we apparently we could have had years ago. It is kind of like, why didn't we just do this in the first place? And I just really I don't know. thought I wanted to be more original. Not, not that it was original, but it really felt like Suicide of the Galaxy. And I, could see that. I don't know. I didn't get that at all, personally. With, with with an R rating. But it also made me yeah. think of what would Guardians look like with an R rating. <laughs> it would look like this, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it would get even more insane, I'm sure. Right. Uh, yeah, so basically we see the our little Suicide Squad try to take down this gigantic uh, kaiju up in this bitch. Uh, we, see, mm-hmm. and then, um, we see actually Bloodsport kind of stepping up and being the leader that you know, he's sort of thrust into this position of being the leader, saying, nom nom away, uh, nom nom. And we see King Shark gnaw at Starro. Uh, we see he tells Harley to get to the high ground with the javelin. And then uh, we he tells Abner, uh, you know, poke that man. You see that thing? It's your mom. And, of course, we, get, yeah. we cut to a giant, you know, Abner's mom, you know, tearing Kaiju, down the building. Kaiju mom. Yeah. <laughs> Kaiju mom. <laughs> yeah, and then Abner ha- uh, has this nice little hero moment where he shoots his polka dot at the starfish and takes out one of his legs, and he's like, "Oh, I'm a superhero!" And of course, one of uh, uh, Starro's feet or tentacles comes down, smashes polka dot man, dies. Right. I so hate it. Immediately after his big triumphant moment, I yeah, that I, was cool. I hated that. Oh, yeah? I hated that. Because it was like, you're sitting there like, he's going to die. He's going to die. He's going to die. Oh, look, he died. Yeah. Oh. I mean, that, that, I mean, that wasn't as surprising as the Rick Flag death. I'll give you that. Well, I, I, I wasn't expecting him to survive the length of the film, but I liked that it didn't linger on the hero moment. I liked that it, it killed him off like just a beat or two sooner than you were expecting him to. Right. And it wasn't like a big heroic sacrifice. It was just he did this big thing and then just, oh, and he's dead. Right. Absolutely. So, so I liked that. I liked, I liked that the movie was surprising me throughout. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of times it zigged where I thought it was going to zag. A lot of surprises. Uh, so Polka Dot Man has, has been killed. Um, and we see that uh, Bloodsport is kind of running out of ammunition because he does this thing where he takes off parts of his armor to assemble a gun. And like he mm-hmm. has like, like his armor is basically made up of things that can kill. But he's running out of things, and uh, Starro's just making more and more zombies to do his bidding. You know, speaking for him, saying the city is mine. And uh, right. we're at this point where he's just surrounded by zombie starfish, and he has no more weapons on him. And then that's when we see Cleo, Ratcatcher Two, saying, "The city is not yours. It's not ours. It's theirs." And then she holds up a right. light. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of rats. Just come out of everywhere, take and to yeah. attack all the zombies and attack Starro. It like if you don't like rats, this scene might just might. You frankly wonder how this city has room for anything else. There are so many rats yeah. on screen. It's are like you, a midtown. You know, yeah, I was gonna say. Do you know how how she could run New York? She could literally I, take over New York. She city. could run New York State. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, it's nuts how many rats they have. Yeah, it's like a midtown Manhattan worth of rats. It's a lot of rats, 
And uh, we see all these rats crawling up Starro and gnawing at it. And then we see Harley with the uh, her javelin taking a running start, jumping through the air, plunging the javelin through the eye of Starro yeah. and like kind of swimming in his eye. And as she's yeah. swimming in the eye, we see the rats coming in with her, floating by her, gnawing at the nerve tissue and veins inside the eye. I mean, how, yep. how another do you even come- beautiful image? Another beautiful image. It is. It's like beautiful, but also like weird and disturbing. And like, wh- how do you even come up with this idea? Like, how do you, like where does this come from? It's like from the beautiful mind of James Gunn. You're right. <laughs> That's the answer. Right uh, so, and as this happens, it's working. Like we see Starro's eye flowing up with blood, and like he's defeated and he falls over. And um, I also like this one thing that they added in where his final words, as said through um, one of the uh, the army men saying, I was happy, floating, staring at the stars. Mm-hmm. Kind of reminding you that, yeah, Starro did all this, but he was also a victim. Because, like, you know, we, the yeah. U.S. Army brought him down here. Like, they didn't leave him alone. Mm-hmm. So, now, like, so he's also... He never asked to come here. Yeah. Exactly. I didn't ask to be born. Exactly. As usual, humans are the real monsters. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. I, and specifically Americans. Right. As I mean, usual, like, Americans. Yeah. Tim Gunn's not I mean, American. it's not a message you find in a lot of summer blockbusters. Yeah. Goddamn. Tim Gunn's uh, not American, is he? Uh, yeah. He is. I mean, it's not a real American. Probably from coastal elite. Not from the real America. Uh, but yeah, they, they took down Starro. Uh, also, we there was like a scene where uh, Sol Soria, uh, yeah, busted into the palace and took out everybody in the palace that was um, in power. So now Corto Maltese is truly free, and they can have truly, you know, uh, true democracy and can like truly. Uh, yeah, I think they say they're going to have a democratic election for the first time in twenty years. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, it looks like the the bad guys won. Uh, then we cut to. Uh, Bloodsport talking to Waller, who has a, you know, an ice bag on her head now after where she got, you know, got hit with the golf club. <laughs> yeah, uh, Bloodsport saying, "Look, I, I have the drive. I uploaded it to a very private server. You're not going to get to it, and you know, you're not. It's not going to see the light of day as long as you know you, I get what I want, which is like to have all of us free. Nothing happens to my daughter, and we all just get to go our own separate ways." If, Something happens to me or, or right. anybody else, I release it. And yeah, so the, the, yeah. he was able to leverage that into you know walking free, which is different than what Rick wanted to do, which is just yeah. give it to and, the press. Uh, Waller's like, okay, you magnificent bastard. Right, exactly. I, I mean, I do like that. Oh. Yeah. No, I was going to say, I do so, like that they, I, I do like that uh, Bloodsport didn't release it to the press like Rick would have wanted, because that's not what Bloodsport would have done. Bloodsport would have leveraged it mm-hmm. to get out of prison and just live his life the way he wants to. So he's yeah. not like a totally, he's not a total good guy. John, you were going to say like something? Still- yeah, I really, um, I really thought he was going to send it to Lois Lane. Right. And it would, it would it would actually be interesting if in in some future project, like somebody leaked it to Lois Lane and she investigated herself. Mm-hmm. Because she is the world's greatest 
she is the world's greatest reporter. Like everybody in DC is the world's greatest at what they do, and Lois Lane is the world's greatest reporter. So I feel like if they leaked the story to her, she would investigate it herself and and uh and fr- and like figure out the truth. But um yeah, it, the funny thing about that last part to me was that Waller didn't have everybody killed, but they were Right. I think I think maybe she was like all right. I respect that. Like I but the <laughs> The guy with the glasses would not look in her direction. Like if you, like the gods themselves yeah. could have made him make eye contact with her. Right. Yeah. But I was like, yeah. That he didn't have them all killed. That did surprise me. That like it seemed like none of them were reprimanded or, like you say, uh, executed in any in any fashion. Like it seems like it's all water under the bridge. But I'm sure maybe Waller figures. Well, you know friends close, enemy closer type of thing. And it's like, I'll use this, this uh, insubordination to make them do my bidding or I, I don't know. I mean, also it could have been like in the comics, like occasionally Waller goes too far and she does have people around her that point out when she goes too far. And she is occasionally able to admit like, Oh yeah, I went too far there. Thank you for calling me out on that. So maybe James Gunn was doing a thing from like the comic book characterization there. I don't know though. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. Uh, but yeah, so and that's and the movie kind of wraps up. We see the team leaving in a chopper. Uh, we see uh, Cleo's little pet rat Sebastian climb up on uh, Bloodsport's legs, and uh, Bloodsport tries to mm-hmm. slowly pet it and get over his fear of rats. So he's like he's. Slowly trying to be the, a better person and get over his uh, fears and, you know, be something different. And, um, yeah, and that's the right. movie. Then we get a post credit scene. We cut back to the beat of Corto Maltese where Weasel's corpse is. Turns out he coughs up some water, wakes up. He's fine. He's not dead at all. <laughs> nope. And he just, he just stumbles off onto the beach. So, right. yeah, Weasel's running around somewhere in Corto Maltese. He's like the new Eating. Chupacabra. Eating children. Yeah, he really is. Yeah. Two- yeah, yeah, he ate 27 children before the start of the movie. So, yeah, he's he's having a good time. He's he's feasting away. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, so then, then we get a post-credit scene. We see uh, the two char- characters, uh, Johnny, Can- Johnny Canemos and Emilia Harcourt, in a hospital where a doctor's taking him to say, well, yeah, we found him in the rubble. We don't know how we made it, but his heart is still beating. And he's he's still alive. It's going to take a while, but we can get him back on his feet. And uh, camera cuts to we see uh, Peacemaker. He's uh, he's still alive. And um, we see uh, Johnny Canemos and Emilia Harcourt talk to each other, saying, "Yeah, you know, Waller is saddling us with him because of what we did, and like now we got to take care of this uh, douchebag." And um, yeah, yeah, then uh, Emilia Harcourt says, "Yeah, we need him to uh, save the fucking world," which sets up. The uh, like you said, the Peacemaker HBO Max here that's it's coming up in uh, January. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at IMDb, looking forward to that. I mean, that's going to be fun. I could, I could certainly uh, go for some more John Cena's Peacemaker. Yeah, yeah. And if you look in the, uh, he's, yeah, yeah. If you look in the uh, IMDb, you see that both of those characters will be in the uh, Peacemaker uh, series in HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Along Which with, characters? Uh, uh, John Nicanemos, played by Steve Agee, and Amelia Harcourt, played by Jennifer Holland. Oh, the two support people. Yeah, I think they're, right. I think they're going to be like 
Peacemaker's handlers, like giving him yeah. assignments and making sure he didn't to go to off. I don't off know if I'm gonna. I don't know if I'm gonna watch that. I really don't like. I really don't like him. I really liked Flag. <laughs> I get yeah. it. I get it. And, and I already I that that my ram my my ram for characters like that is already filled with uh, Homelander and um oh God I can't Omni Man uh, so uh-huh. so I don't know if I have room for another <laughs> another character like that in my head another anti hero. Is he even an anti-hero? I'd well, Omni Man so. isn't a hero at all. Uh, no, Omni Man no, and Homelander aren't heroes at all. They're um, they're pretend heroes. Yeah, and, but I would say, I mean, I would say Peacemaker is an anti-hero. Like he's he's a pretend he's a pretend hero. Yeah. He's a bad he's a bad guy. Hmm. He's well, he's uh God, who am I thinking of? Uh US Agent, Punisher. I don't even think US Agent is that bad. But now that um John when John brought up Wonder Man, I'm like I had this like it's it's a conspiracy theory. There's no proof, but I am wondering if they're I really want Marvel to create the West Coast Avengers. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. because they have they have U.S. agent. They have two visions, so you can have a vision. Um, the one if there's Wonder Man, then you can have Wonder Man. <laughs> there's Wanda. Yeah, I really want a West Coast Avengers or a Great Lakes Avengers. Is <laughs> a Great Lakes Avengers? I'll probably get to him eventually. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, but um. But yeah, and that's the movie, um, you know, kind of sets up the new Peacemaker series, kind of like what Disney Plus has been doing, where the movies now connect to the TV shows. Um, and yeah, the, the Peacemaker show is supposed to be, come out in January with, uh, like I said, like with um, Steve Agee and um, the other character in the, in a, in the mm-hmm. show, uh, Robert Patrick playing Robert Patrick playing Peacemaker's dad. They're going to have a character, Judo Master. In it as well, like according to IMDb. Oh, cool. That's another Charlton character. Yeah, All right. So, um, yeah, it looks. I mean, I'm. I'll, I'll watch it. I'll, I'll give it a shot because, um, you know, uh, yeah, da- I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, like James Gunn uh, created this series, and from it's like eight episodes, and from what I've read, he wrote and directed like five of them. So, if you're a James Gunn yeah. fan, he he does have his fingerprints over this uh, upcoming series. And yeah, uh, looking forward it'll to it. probably be good. I just really hate Peacemaker. <laughs> I get it. I get it. The series might make you love them. Who knows? I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, and uh, that's the movie, guys. Um, just guys, overall thoughts. Uh, minus overall, what do you think of this movie? <sighs> <laughs> when it starts off with a sigh, you know it's going to be good. It, there's, it's hard to it, like it takes me a while to process a movie, um, like how I actually feel about it, like mm-hmm. and my initial reaction, like I I don't 
have a great feeling about it, but I can't tell you why, because there was nothing bad about it. But uh-huh. I don't know, but like I kept seeing, I kept seeing pieces of Marvel movies in it, and I think that threw me off. Hmm. And 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 also like I'm not. I'm not a big fan of movie where people's people are expendable. Um, yeah. Even in the Expendables, people weren't expendable. Like none of them died. No. That's a good point. <laughs> no. That's a very good point. I mean, I I like that this movie just really went there. I mean, just right from the beginning, where they kill off most of the team, and the fact that they killed off some people who are major players in both the last movie and this movie. I, I really like that. I mean, cause if you're doing something called the suicide squad, that's what you should be doing, you know? Well, yeah, it's the same thing with doom patrol. Like, mm-hmm. like not so much in this show, but I like read in the comics, it's, it's called doom patrol. People die all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, if it's called suicide squad, people are going to die all the time, but I, I don't know. I mean, like I said, there's nothing, there's nothing bad about this movie. The acting's good. The cinematography is good. The fight scenes are good. The music is good. There's there's nothing to complain about, and I don't know how I'm finding something to complain about. But I would suggest people watch it. I would recommend it to people. Uh, I don't yeah, know. I'm just I'm saying. Weird. No, no. I'm weird. I'm weird. Well, of course you are, John. That's why we love you. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm the same way. Like I, I did enjoy this movie. I thought it was really great, but I can understand how it might be too much for some people. Like, it, like I'm, I can imagine people finding it either too violent, or too dark, or too disturbing, or too weird. There's a lot of weird shit in this movie, but it's all yeah, yeah. This is, I mean, it's a giant starfish with an eyeball. Like that's that's kind of weird, but it's all really well done though. Like I mean, it's like uh, Minus said, the acting's good. The it's colorful. Uh, I think uh, Frank Hablawi mentioned it on a, on a Facebook saying, like, yeah, this is like one of the most co- brightly colorful DC movies we've gotten in a while. And, like, that's right. Uh, like, he loves that. And, uh, but, yeah, it, it took me a while to sort of get into the rhythm of what James Gunn was giving me. But once I got it, I, I did enjoy this. I, I really I did enjoy this movie. But, yeah, I, I can understand how some people. It might not be their cup of tea because it, it is very, it's very intense. You know, it's like when uh, you go into like a, you know, like an Indian restaurant or something like that, and they say, "Hey, we're the food here is very spicy. So if you want it, if you like spicy food, you know, you should order it this way. If you don't, we can order it a little, tone it down a bit. So this this is a spicy mm-hmm. this this movie is is a spicy movie. It might be too much for some people to handle. Oh, I love violence. That <laughs> none of that was none of that was my issue. I love violence. Like, like I'm like I'm like that that gif. Like I'm clapping and yelling violence. Okay, but, but uh, I mean, there was also some darker stuff in there too, like darker themes. I mean, you know, Ratcatcher with the needle in his arm. There's like a lot of dark, twisted, messed up thing in this movie too. Where I mean that. 
that, that's yeah. another thing that might turn. I mean, I, I like that it wasn't like a whole lot of other movies I've seen, and it was definitely something different than what we've been getting. Um, oh, yeah. No, absolutely. So I, I enjoyed it in that regard. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to see it again. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to go to the theater to see it again like I did the first time, but I'll, I'll definitely watch it on HBO Max. Right. No, absolutely. Like, I'll, I'll say that about this film, too. Like, this is its own thing. It's like, if you go in thinking this will be like Guardians of the Galaxy, it's I, it's not. It's it's way, like I said, way darker, way more violent, but it's you can't deny that it's a good film. It's a really, it's a really good film, but I know some people are a little bit more squeamish and... It, people are like, oh, that's too weird for me. So, like, it might not mm-hmm. be your cup of tea, but you can't deny this film is solid. Way better than the first, you know, uh, Suicide Squad. I'll, I'll say that as well. Oh, yeah. No comparison. Right, right. No comparison. Okay. And, um, yeah, I guess that's it. I guess that's our episode, guys. Uh, John Minus, thank you so much for, for stopping by and uh, talking to us about this fine little film. Uh, no problem. It, <clears throat> come back to me in a week. Uh, you need <laughs> you need time to digest it to really, really appreciate. Yeah, it that's a, that's how I am. That's how I was. What's the last What's the last movie I watched? Um, oh God, what? It, it was Widow? the last comic book movie. Yeah, Black Widow. Like I liked it, uh-huh. and then like two weeks later, I was like, Oh, I still like it. All right, then I like it. Sometimes I'll watch something and then like two yeah. weeks later, like my opinion will have changed. Like when I really digested this stuff, but I was like, no, I like that movie. It was good. So maybe yeah, I'm that way with some movies too. Yeah. All right, listeners. So, so tune in in a few weeks when we talk to John Midas again. <laughs> See what he thinks about Suicide <laughs> Squad. I don't have to be on here. I can just tell you. <laughs> right. We'll, yeah. we'll tweet it out. Yeah. I'll uh, tweet sure. about so, it. Uh, so is there anything you want to plug, anything you wanted to promote? Uh, please, the floor is yours. Uh, I guess if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, my Twitter is at Don Coyote, um, which is a very obscure reference. Um, but uh, I'm really weird on there, so you might want to think about it. Right. And <laughs> He's the Suicide Squad of uh, Twitter handles. Yeah. Yeah. I... Yeah, but um, other than that, nothing at the moment. All right, guys. Okay, give them a follow. Oh, all right. And uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dare Incredible. That's D A R I Incredible. And you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Trumbull Comic. That's T R U M B U L L and the word comic. And as always, you can listen to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, uh, Apple and and Stitcher, and Spotify, and the like, or at non-productive.com. You, you know the place you listen to this one? Yeah, go back there. Yeah, keep, we'll be there. keep doing what you're doing. And as always, you know, donate yeah. to our Patreon, and give us some money, and help us keep the lights on. Yeah, that's at uh, non-productive.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, so... And uh, next week, uh, we'll be back with uh, episode 150. The big one five zero. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we're gonna do something cool for that. Yeah, so, we, we, uh, we won't yeah. we won't uh, spoil it, but yeah, it's uh, it's 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 gonna knock your socks off, people. We we got we got something cool in the works. We're uh, we're talking to somebody who's uh, connected with a particular late night show that uh, you might have an interest in if you listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Wink, wink. Joan Rivers. 
<laughs> yes. We got a Ouija. Joan Rivers. We're having a seance and we're, we're talking to Joan Rivers. I bought a Ouija board and we're going to talk to Joan Rivers. <laughs> Melissa Joan Rivers? Okay, so join us next week and we'll be talking with someone uh, connected with SNL. And uh, until then, nerds Nerd out. out. Nerds out. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.